This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sacks What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in. Thanks for sticking around after Adam Abdallah and Chris Flex, uh, best of 1,000. They now stick around for the next three hours to continue our conversations about the Loyola Ramblers and uh, the NCAA tournament and baseball and the NFL and, yeah, I know, for me, regrettably, but for them, excitingly, the NBA. There's a lot going on today, Fred. So, I mean, we will talk Loyola, obviously, as the tournament run comes to an end, but... So much going on with almost every major sport in play today. I did realize something the other day. I know three weeks ago, and for those people that listen to us on a weekly basis, and I know you're out there. There's at least thousands of you out there that My listen mom. each right. Yeah. They listen each and every Sunday morning going to church, or if you're going to church today, happy Easter. Um, but a couple weeks ago, I told you that because I knew I was working with two NBA savants, two NBA pros, two NBA guys that know the game. I would watch the NBA a lot more, and that was what I was doing for a couple weeks. Yeah. Now baseball started. <laughs> sorry. And then that's done with. Yeah, sorry. I watched some of the playoffs. Not Probably not money first round uh, series. Uh, maybe not second round, but uh, after that, I'll, I'll watch. I, As Abdallah says, the first round is going to be lit this year. So it's always lit. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. yeah. There, there's always every once well, in a while. It, all, it sets up the second round. Yeah. Oh, thank, thanks, Abdallah. <laughs> It sets up those later rounds. Yes. Yeah. It's always a good thing. Well, let's talk some Loyola basketball. If you want to jump in throughout the course of the day, I'm, I'm sure we can probably hear you, unlike some of the people that called on Friday morning the cap. Uh, 312-332-3776. Uh, hopefully, if you give us a buzz, we'll be able to uh, listen and hear what you guys are saying, and you can hear us. Uh, the game last night, I don't know about you guys. I'm sitting on my couch watching the game, and, and Loyola's down early, and they're not hitting their shots. And for a team that plays as well as they do and gets to the basket. I've never seen a team miss as many layups. They miss a lot of layups during the course of games, and they were still winning all the time. But turnovers kill you. Um, Halftime, you know, they come up with a stat. They they went on a nice little run right at the end of the first half. Um, They take a 29-22 lead, a 25-10 finish in the first half. They were two of their first 11, then they went 8 for 13 uh, down the stretch, 10 of... Uh, 9 of 10 from the free throw line. I'm going, this is great. They're getting to the free throw line. They're making their free throws. They don't miss their free throws. Everything seems to be working. Ingram with that put back right at the buzzer. Mm-hmm. At halftime, they're up 29-22. The stat flies out. They're 24-0 after leading at halftime. Mm-hmm. And now they're 24-1. Uh, the second half, they came out. And you figured Michigan was going to start hitting their shots because you know they played a couple other tournament games where they were missing their threes. And struggled and made it difficult. And they were missing their shots in the first half. Second half came out. Crutwig scores and won. They're up by 10. 
Then all of a sudden, Michigan gets a little closer. Then Custer goes on a run. He scores a hoop. He's got a three. He's got another basket. They're up 41-31 with uh, how much time? 14, 14 minutes. 14 minutes to go. Yep. I'm going, okay. I go, there were numerous times, and you guys probably remember this, there were numerous times during the first several games where they barely got a shot off, and sometimes they had shot clock violations yeah. mm-hmm. because they, they passed the ball around, they moved around. They didn't do any of that yesterday. Well, They, they seemed rushed the, all the time yesterday. They were trying half. to take advantage of the Michigan defense, and they don't. the longer you get into the shot clock, the more Michigan can do on defense to confuse you, and that's what it looked like Michigan was doing in those final 14 minutes. Those final 14 minutes, Loyola only scored 16 points. They went 7 of 19 from the field, 0 for 5 from three-point range. They only hit one three-pointer the entire game, yeah, I know. and they had eight turnovers, and Michigan scores 22 points off of 17 turnovers. That's the game. Yeah, they had five. They had turnovers Overs on five straight possessions. I printed up the uh, the box score so I can take a look at it. After they were up 47-44 with 7-44 to go. You're up by three, okay? It's not out of, out of the question. Um, they get a turnover by Crutwig. All of a sudden, Michigan scores. They're tied at 47. Another turnover by Crutwig. Um, they go to the line. Pool hits, uh, hits two. So it's 49-47. They're losing. Turnover by Richardson. All of a sudden, they're losing 51-47. Turnover by Custer. They don't score. Then a turnover by Ingram, and they score a 9-0 run on those five straight turnovers, mm-hmm. five straight possessions. And it was interesting because you knew Cameron Crutwig was going to be a key to the game one way or another. Was he going to be able to go at Wagner? Was Wagner going to be able to shut him down? Was he going to be able to defend Wagner? And for a while there, the first half was pretty good. And then all of a sudden... Yeah, Wagner just went off. You know, Fred, as you talk about that run that Michigan went on, it, the defense is so good for Michigan, fourth in the country in defensive efficiency. So when you face them, what we saw as the game went on was you guys were talking about how they got a little rushed, and it seemed as if every possession was just played 35 feet away from the basket. And then they would try and do something in the paint or through the lane and make a cute little pass or something like that, and all of a sudden, boom, the teeth of the defense would knock it away, turnover, other way. Mm -hmm. And, like, at no point during the second half were they getting the easy baskets that they got in the first half or in any of the games against Kansas State, Nevada, Tennessee, any of the other games in the tournament. And I think what happened was this is the first time they actually played a team that was way more talented than they were. Sure. And, unfortunately, if you turn the ball over against a more talented team and you go one of ten from three... There is no chance you will win that game any day of the week. And, and that's what happened. If, if you're going to play that type of sloppy uh, offense where you turn the ball over right. 17 Teen times, times. Uh. something we've talked about throughout the tournament, like, yeah, it was fun. You beat the Vols. Yeah, you beat Nevada, this, that, and the other. I kept pointing to the turnovers. Yeah. And it got them because you don't shoot well from three. If you shot well from three because they came into the game shooting 40% from three for the season, Michigan only shot 36% on the season. If you shot that last night, right. you could have won that game. But you win one of ten, so, I mean, that's where the run comes to an end because you didn't shoot well from three, you turned the ball over, and in the second half, Michigan was just the better team. The other story is that Loyola has been really good throughout the tournament of finding ways to get guys open and hitting uncontested shots. Yeah. So that's what they've been doing. That's been the key to their success, especially against Kansas State, is we hit open shots. 
you're not getting any open looks from Michigan. No. They're not giving you anything. So that's, I mean, you looked at it, there was a play late in the game where Crutwig was standing at the top of the three-point line, and he's basically telling guys where to go just because that late in the game they were so confused by what Michigan was doing on defense that they didn't know how to attack it. And there's like three minutes left in the game, and they yeah, still couldn't I, figure it out. I think he was trying to high post pass it down to Ingram, and he just, right. the pass just went over Ingram's head out of bounds. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was like the third or fourth turnover in a row, and it was like, okay, they clearly are just out of their element offensively. Well, I mean, despite the fact that Crowdwig was playing so well, were you surprised that we didn't see maybe more of Jackson? And again, I'm not criticizing um, I'm not criticizing the coach. Uh, he played 15 minutes, Jackson did. Crowdwig played 24. But in some of the earlier games, you saw when Crowdwig got in foul trouble, Jackson came in, and Jackson's a different kind of guy down low. He can, and, and even in the first half, Jackson got to the basket a couple of times and made some things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, you know, Fred, to answer that question, I think the only way they got baskets were because of uh, Cameron Kurtwig in the the paint, being able to finagle down low and and find an angle and get a little shot up. Because outside of that, I mean, like Adam said, when can you recall an open jump shot where you didn't have a defender in your face? And and that's where, over the course of the, the 40 minutes, the second half, as that started to wear on, you started to see that Loyola really struggled to find a shot and find yeah. an open guy. Well, think about it. In the previous game, the previous win, even though Ben Richardson had only made one three in the first three games, the last game he was six for seven. Mm-hmm. Every time Richardson got the ball outside the three-point range, there was a guy in his face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a guy right there. And he didn't really have any opportunities. They only took three uh, threes in the first half. They only attempted three because yep. Michigan was out there. They couldn't get to it, and then they tried to go inside, and it, and it worked for them in the first half when they had that 29-22 lead. I just thought it when, when you have, you know, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, nothing to be embarrassed about, and everyone's a great story. This When you're a basketball fan or you're a, and your team, the team you're pulling for, has two 10-point leads in the second half, yeah. Yeah. you shouldn't lose the game. Well, Fred, look at the offense, because in the second half, they the Ramblers went 3 of 4 from the foul line. The first half, they went 9 of 10. Yep. So that, that just tells you, by looking at the box score, the offense was different in the first half because they were attacking the rim. In the second half, they stopped going hard to the rim, and when they got there, yeah. you mentioned that like the it just looked they looked a little skittish yes. around the basket, and yeah. that's what happened as the second half wore on. And like they they were right there, and like you said, that you have two ten point leads throughout the game in the second half. You you should win that game. Yeah, you got to win the game. You got to figure something out. And uh, yeah, they they played really well throughout the whole tournament. And as everyone knows, it's a it was a great thing. We've all enjoyed it. I, I got. Uh, a kick out of a couple things. Um, there was one time the camera was going by a bunch of Michigan fans, and most of them were clapping. And one guy just gave the double bird. <laughs> There's and, always that guy. And well, but I, I, I went back to try to look, and it looked like he was saying to f Sister Jean. Oh, oh yeah. come on! And I went back to Poor look Sister at it a second Jean. time, and then at the end, of, near the end, and I can't believe that uh, that I think it was Danny Zetterman asking where's Sister Jean going. When there was like a minute and a half to go Dunking in the game. Out early? Yeah. She goes, she always goes to the yeah. tunnels when the players yeah, run off. Yeah. That's can, the thing. Yeah, that's what happens. Listen, there's a lot of Twitter rage out there, and uh, Zetterman <laughs> might have been a, a part of it yesterday. He might have been, you know, flame or. Was he silent in the second game? Fueling though? the fire. Yeah. He, oh, he disappeared <laughs> real quick in that second game. Well, but, let, like, let's just take a, a 15 seconds and congratulate Danny on the hard work he did this year for Kansas because Bravo. they really, you know, they really.
really did. Um, they were so bad last Bravo. night that at the bar, people were getting up and leaving their tables because they didn't watch that trash. Or yeah. City. Well, it was great because my wife says we you got to watch. My wife says you have to watch that second game, don't you? And I looked. They go no, no. I, I can go. You want me to go pick up food? No problem. I can go do that. No one's putting it on. Yeah, you know, everybody's out. attacking Sister Jean, saying she left early. She didn't want to watch the end. No, she goes to the tunnel and literally, there's a video. The you can watch it. Right. Every every coach. Porter Moser, every assistant and every player gives her a hug on the way, and she is patting each player on the back. Don't worry about it; it's yeah. okay. All that kind of stuff. They every single player, as sweaty and gross was, as they are yeah. afterwards, is hugging Sister Jean before they go into the locker room. Yeah. She does it every single game. So don't. I'm done. Don't attack Sister Jean. Come on. Well, you know she's 98 years old. The only other question: as they were wheeling her down out in the wheelchair, as they were wheeling her out in the wheelchair. There were Michigan fans waving, and I was, and she was waving back at them. Now I wasn't sure if they were waving to them, to her, be, because they were being nice or because they were saying, "See you later, Sister I Jean. Think, <laughs> your tournament's over with. I mean, Get out of here. You're in the Alamo Dome. You've been partying all day. Your uh-huh. kids. I think we know the answer to that. Yeah, that was probably that was probably. And she was being very nice. She was waving to all of them, and she had the big smile on her face, and and rightfully so. Porter Moser talking about the legacy that this team leaves behind it. They. Changed the perception of a program. They changed the perception of when you say Loyola Chicago for men's basketball. They changed that. They impacted so many lives around not only our started with our campus and then it spread on high character kids playing their tails off unselfishly. So I couldn't be more proud and um, saddened that it's over. He talked about what he told his players after the loss. Just want to. First, congratulate Michigan. They played a great game. They they did what the great teams do. They uh, they capitalized on our on that run when we made six turnovers in a row. But I also stand here, sit here, and cannot be more proud of a group than I am of this group. When I walked off the floor, I was asked what I said to him, and what I said to him was: the more you invest in something, the harder it is to give up. And they didn't want to end it. Yeah, he's exactly right. I mean, if they didn't care and they lost, it'd be one thing. But this is a team that uh, all of a sudden, the last couple of weeks, they, it wasn't only you know local attention; it was national attention. And Sister Jean obviously helped, mm-hmm. uh, but the players had to step on the court and do what they had to do. They get Clayton Custer coming back, Marcus Towns, Cameron Crutwig, uh, Lucas Williamson. Those are the big four that are coming back. There's three seniors on the team: Jackson Richardson. And Ingram mm-hmm. are the three seniors, and they already—they only have one recruiting spot left. And I thought that I brought this up the other day. I think that was kind of a weird thing. They did such a good job recruiting early. They had a transfer that was on their team, mm-hmm. and then they have three other guys—a six-nine guy with a seven-three wingspan. They have two six-three guards coming in, but they only have one other spot. You would think if they didn't hadn't recruited well, there's probably guys that might have been on the edge and said, "Hey, that'd be a place to go." That might be a place on our list as a mid-major. We might want to go there. All of a sudden, we see what the, what they do and they get to the tournament. I think the way it works now, Fred, is that now you use this momentum to work on next year's class. Right? Like, right. So not the kids that are coming out at the end of this year for next season, but mm-hmm. the kids who are seniors next year. Yeah, because they do, they do it. They make yeah. their commitments in November. Yeah, so, so like, I, I get your point, um, but he does have a few freshmen on the team this year. So, like, college basketball is a little different than, like, college football because you have so many spots to fill where, like, a team like Loyola can go in waves. 
You know, like UIC does this too. You, sure. you, you have four freshmen who come in, then you know the next year those are all going to be sophomores. You may only have one or two freshmen on the team the following year. Mm-hmm. The goal with a mid-major is this. You get a good recruiting class, and as they mature, you're looking for a window of making the tournament or getting to be at your peak mm-hmm. when they're juniors and seniors, right? Because like in college basketball, having 21-year-old and 22-year-old kids going against freshmen who are at Kentucky right. or freshmen at any of these big schools that do the one and done, your best chance, and we've seen it recently with like Wichita State, they get kids that stay for four years, and then by the time that it's their third, fourth year, those are the runs you make in the tournament. Yeah. So like the, the goal now, I think, as we turn the focus from last night to the future for Loyola is this. This year was fantastic. Now, within the next four years, you got to make another tournament run. Because it's going to be tough to make the tournament again next year because you got to win the tournament in your conference. Only It's a one-bid league in Missouri Valley, and there's no guarantee that they'll be the best team in the Missouri Valley next year. So you got to win that conference tournament. But you got to use the momentum and get into the tournament within the next couple of years when right. these guys, the freshmen, uh, make it to their second, third, fourth year. And then they're seniors, and then it's like, Oh, Cameron Kurtwig as a senior? Can you imagine that kid in college basketball? Sure. You know, like in three years, yeah. he, he was so good in this tournament. Can you imagine right. in three years what he's going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, and then and that's what you do as a mid major, and you like you kind of ride the waves. Do you? I mean, do you think that we're only talking about more mid majors should get into the tournament because Loyola made the run? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I mean, my biggest thing is I I stick with it. I hate conference tournaments. I know they do it so they can make money, but. You know, and it was mentioned numerous times and again last night, if Loyola doesn't win their conference tournament, despite the fact that they won their conference during the regular season, they wouldn't have made the tournament. Well, if you eliminate the conference tournament and you just give it to the champion of the conference, they would have made the tournament. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So so, if, so they could get in. But if they would have lost to Northern Iowa in the first game, yeah. which I guess was a real close game in the first sure. game of the tournament, mm-hmm. they would have been out. They wouldn't yeah. have gotten there. Nope. Where you see the SEC has nine teams and the ACC has eight. The Big Ten only. The Big Ten, I'm confused. Do they have 12 or 14 teams now? Was the addition of Maryland, Should the we addition count? of Maryland and Rutgers, I think made it 14 now, Let's right? Count. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the standings and we're going to scroll down to the, waiting for the internet. Come on, internet. Buffer, buffering? Because buffering. they're called the big time. I buffering. said they had 12 teams a week or so ago, and I think I was wrong. I think they have one, one two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. nine, okay, 10, friends, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14, 14 teams okay. in the big 10. So they have 14 Does teams. Count Dracula? Yeah, well, no, it's the count from uh, Sesame Street. <laughs> there What's you go. his name? Count Dracula. Yeah, what are you Is doing? It? Yeah. I thought you he was don't just even the count. know the impersonations you're doing. Yeah, I thought anymore. he was just the count. Also, what? I thought he's just ah, the count. Ah. I think he's just the count. Ah. What is this? <laughs> so they had 14 yeah. teams. They only had four. Yeah. In the tournament. Um, also, I, the number, the final number will come out. But what Loyola gets for the Missouri Valley for going as far as they did. But the SEC had nine teams, yeah. and wherever they go, they all get money. That's why those conferences continue to stay big, and that's why the Missouri Valley stays a mid-major because, you know, yeah. they, they have one team going oh, yeah. to the tournament every year. Yeah. So you don't get any more. I, I think the benefit, though, for uh, Loyola is whatever cut they get after it gets split, uh, split between right. everyone in the conference is that, one, their arena is already outstanding. Right. Probably the best spot to watch basketball in the city, mm-hmm. you know, because it's so close, 5,000 people, and it's beautiful. So they've already got that covered. 
right? So, like, right. usually a team, an upstart team, makes a tournament deep run. They get some money. It's like, all right, let's fix the facilities. They've got great facilities already. Yeah. So there really is no reason for them not to take this and r- and run with it and try and become the next butler. You know, there's no reason that that can't happen at Loyola. Well, they should just take that, that pile of money and just slide it over to Porter Moser. Just keep him happy for another well, couple that's years. that's what I'm, I'm kind of pointing yeah, at is that are. if you have the facilities and you already have some recruits and you only got one spot left, really the only spot you have to take care of is your head coach to make sure that it all keeps rolling. Well, because now that they've lost, that's going to be – that's the conversation is he's going to – he's probably going to stay – and want to continue with these guys because he has, like you said, Fred, so many guys coming back. Right. The question is, if they do this next year and a better job comes calling next year and more of these guys are leaving, is that when Porter Moser takes the step and is like, hey, I'm out of here? Or does the does a better Chicago job become available? Like, is DePaul a better job than Loyola? Is if Illinois... Uh, becomes available at some point. Is right. that a better job than Loyola? Because now he's got to re- he's got to start recruiting the city. Because now you're like, okay, now what next? Everybody wants to do what next? Can he stick around long enough? And can he recruit better and try to get that kid from Chicago who always leaves for Duke or Kentucky or or the big school, the blue blood school, because they want to win a championship before they get to the NBA? Can he get that kid to come to Loyola and try to make a deeper run and actually try to win a championship for Loyola? Well, he's already recruiting the city. So you're just talking about that top player in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Instead of leaving. Because he's already getting city guys. No, I know. When when my buddies and I were down for the state high school basketball tournament, we were watching, and you see a guy that's a stud, you know he's going somewhere else. And it's happened for years when we saw Jalen Brunson and where the times we saw Andre Iguodala and we saw all these other guys – play down there and you knew that they were going there but you would always think that uic and there were many years where i saw howard moore down there when he was the uic coach and they were out there and they were they were scouting guys but you would think that the second and third and fourth best players on those teams loyola uic those are the kind of schools that if they're not they don't want to go far away they want to stick around those are the places that you would think would recruit recruit those uh, school, those kids. Yeah. And when you watch these kids, I mean, there's a lot of public. There were three, let's see, or one double A. They're they're a public league team. Um, Morgan Park won triple A or three A, not triple A, and four A. Whitney Young lost in the in the uh, in overtime in the championship. So three public league schools, um, you know. For the most part, made the finals of the year of the tournaments. So there are definitely kids on each of those teams that probably are Loyola worthy or UIC worthy. Sure. Now you do a lot of UIC games. How many? How many local Chicago players are on UIC? Quite a few. Are there quite okay. a few? Yeah. I mean, Steve McLean's done a good job recruiting uh, into Texas and other places across the country, but. You know, uh, Dominic Matthews is the brother of Charles Matthews. Okay. He went to St. Rita. He plays at UIC, really good uh, three-point shooter. So there are guys all over the roster uh, who have come from the city. Um, so, I, you know, UIC does a good job at that. Um, and you're right. The guys who are on these teams who are second, third players keep them home instead yeah. of, you know, going to, like, Western Michigan or right. Milwaukee or, you know, like exactly. any of this. Because, like... You know, in the Horizon League, covering the UIC Flames, Green Bay and Milwaukee both are stacked with Chicago kids. Green Bay's best player, um, Chicago kid. Okay, and so like, keep them in the city. Right. That's that's a great point. You yeah, know, they don't need to go somewhere else. Yeah, and and hopefully this run does some of those things. We come back. I want to talk about 
what you guys brought up a little bit about Porter Moser and if he's going to stick around and what Loyola is going to need to do right now. And can Loyola get back with what they have? Any comments you guys have at 312-332-3776, probably out and about going to or coming home from church after watching that Loyola game. Uh, we'll talk minimally about the uh, Villanova game. I also want to ask you the one thing about Villanova. I want to ask my two NBA experts here uh, who watch the games and uh, along with all the other games, if Jalen Brunson, a Stevenson kid, is Jalen Brunson a first-round draft pick in the upcoming NBA draft? 312-332-3776. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. That is going to do it. Michigan ends the magic of the Ramblin' Men. The Michigan Wolverines are in the national championship game, knocking off the Ramblers of Loyola, Chicago, 69-57. The Wolverines are in the title game for the first time since 2013. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Well, you weren't happy about it, but you heard the call right here on ESPN 1000, courtesy of Westwood One last night as Michigan knocks off Loyola, a final score of 69 to 57. And uh, the one thing you can give to Loyola, all of the tournament games, they held their opposition to under 70 points. I think they had 69 once. Uh, I think Nevada had 68, and the other three were all 62. So um, they played relatively well defensively, but... Uh, Turning the ball over is never going to get you a whole heck of a lot. Adam Abdallah, Chris Black, me, I'm Fred Huebner, in until 12. We'll get to Jesse in baseball because there was an extra, another extra inning affair last night for the Cubs and the Marlins. Now, I don't know about you guys, and we'll get to, when we get to Jesse, I just thought the Cubs were going to stroll on down to Miami, mm-hmm. play a team that got rid of their best four players in the offseason, get three, uh, four easy victories, and then move on to Cincinnati. It's not been that way for the Northsiders. That's all I heard before the season started, yeah. right? I, you know, I know, you just go down, you take your three-game sweep, you yep. move along. Four, four games. They play again today so because the, they didn't have a day off because they're in Miami. So are you saying that this year is going to be another grind in the first half of the season like it was last year? I thought this was the best team in baseball. I thought they had all their naps in. They got all their naps in over yeah, the not, winter. Not hungover. They got enough Pedialyte yeah. in this off season. They, they're ready, ready to go. But I, uh, I'm saying it's going to be another rough yikes. season only if Cap is listening. Well, yes. Yeah, Cap. I mean, uh, li- listen, man. I hope Theo does something at the trade deadline. To to maybe save this season. That's what I'm, that's what we're looking it's lost. at. It's lost. That's sarcastic. They're, they're blow they'll the, be fine. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll be, they will be. They'll yeah, be fine. They'll be fine. Uh, Christian we'll Yelich had a nice game yesterday. Uh, the Brewers get a win, but we're still talking about Loyola. We got Jesse at the top of the hour. I asked you guys a little bit. I touched on it a little bit, but will Loyola do what's necessary to keep Porter Moser next year? Um, you know, this coming season, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the next college basketball season, because you know there are, there are colleges out there who, okay, Loyola's out. We can call him. Let's give him a buzz. See what, see if he's interested. Uh, do you think Loyola will step up? From what we understand, he's making probably around $400,000. Do you think Loyola, with the money that they're getting, is going to step up? And as you mentioned, their arena is pretty well set. They've got one of the better ones in the area. Um, do you think they'll... They're going to sit down with Porter. Is this the week? Is next week the week? When did they sit down with Porter and say, listen, what do you need for to stick around here and ignoring all the other offers you're going to get? Can you do it today? Is, uh, yeah. that, is that an option? I, I think they should have the papers drawn up when he gets off the bus coming off the airport. Uh-huh. Like they should. This should be the, this is what we can offer you. This is the most we can do. We want you to stay. 
This is what we can do for you, and if he takes it, he takes it. I mean, you you can't have him leave now. The story can't end with him. Like, the Disney story can't end with him three years later taking another team to the Final Four. Well, he's not, he's not going to leave this year. There are no good jobs out there. No, there really are. There are aren't. no good. Okay. There are no jobs. Xavier's Let me the take one, that back. Xavier's there, filled already. There are oh, no, okay. There, there will be. There are no jobs out there that would be worth leaving what he's already built here. He's, okay. He's not going to leave this year. Mm-hmm. But, Fred, you started this conversation by asking in the next year or so, does he leave? Because yeah. you're, you're right. If you look, say, let's just look at those standings in the Big Ten. There are a couple schools that had really bad seasons. Iowa. They were not good this year. They went 14 and 19. Illinois went 14 and 18. I know Illinois has a new coach. Right. Um, Wisconsin, they went 15 and 18. If those schools fire their coach next year, yeah, those are big dogs. Mm-hmm. And if they come calling, that's going to be a different pay raise than what Porter Moser will get at Loyola. So I, I don't think the conversation will be him leaving this year. I think he will stay. I I would be blown away if because what job is out there that right. would be worth leaving loyal? I don't think there is one. Well, aside from the Big 10 standings too, you also have whenever this investigation well, comes okay. to light, the court trials or so in, in the next year or so when those go to trial and all that stuff becomes public knowledge because it's not it's a, it's sealed now because they haven't gone to trial. Right. But once they go to trial, all that stuff becomes unsealed and it could be next year that this all this stuff goes to trial. So once that happens, how many of these top coaches are left are standing? Right. And then he could easily get one of those jobs because there might be a ton of jobs open. They may be nothing. It may just be one or two, but it may be a ton of jobs open that he could take advantage of. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know that's, as we talked about, now that they've lost, uh, that's going to be the topic that comes up. I know uh, Sylvie kind of asked the question about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and people got a little rattled about that because you wanted to wait to see how it played out. But that's always going to be the question. Uh, you guys know, you know, when NBA teams win and when uh, um, when football teams win, the question is, are you going to stick around? Are you going to be here? They usually ask that question like the very, they've asked Phil Jackson that back in the day when he was winning championships. It's like, could you give him like a day? But everyone says, no, they can't. That's what the media is supposed to do. Um, because you guys watch so much NBA, I just want to know, Jalen Brunson's a kid I saw, and again, I didn't go to his games at Stevenson, but I saw him downstate a couple of years in a row. They won a state championship. I thought of all the high school kids we saw down there, between him and John Shire, I didn't know if I've ever saw seen better step-back jumpers from high school kids. And then last night I'm watching the game, and he's covered by a bigger guy, and he does the same thing in the lane. He takes a step back. He gets in the lane. Big guy on him steps back, hits a shot. Is Jalen Brunson a first-round draft pick in the NBA? Is Jalen Brunson better than Chris Dunn? Uh, I would I would guess probably no. And, and you know, he's 6'3", 190. He's a junior. Uh, I would assume he'll probably come back well, you know for what he did? senior year. Uh, Jay Wright said that he came with a, with a plan. He wanted to win the national championship and finish school in three years. So I think... So he I, might leave. I think he's thinking about leaving. He's already won the national championship. He did that as a freshman. So should we already punch in the next one? Because yeah, mean, I mean, uh, that, a chance he'll be Michigan. Yeah, so he might have two. Um, you know, Fred, like he's been a very productive college player. Um, Nineteen points per game, four point seven assists. I, he's really good. I'm not sure if that really necessarily translates on the next level because uh-huh. does he have enough speed to be a point guard in the league? Okay. I, I'm not sure. What do, What do you guys see? I've been looking at mock drafts and projections, and Jalen Brunson is projected in that 
high second round, low first round. Like it, everything I've read has been depending, like depending on these next two games, he could get into the end of the first round. If okay. you have a team at the end of the first round that needs a point guard, or he could be, you know, become a backup on one of these teams that are higher in the second round. So to me, I mean, you made the Chris Dunn comparison. I think Chris Dunn is better, and Chris Dunn should be someone's second-best point guard. Like, Chris Dunn's a good point guard now, but the Bulls should hope to have a better point guard than Chris Dunn. So this is is updated uh, from yesterday. So recently, NBADraft.net, they do mock drafts as well as all the other websites and ESPN and everything. They have Jalen Brunson going 28th to Golden State in the first round. So first-round pick, but end of the first-round player. Huh. So that's, he, that's that's where I would probably guess that he would go. You know, he's going to be a backup point guard. I like uh, Abdallah said. I doubt that he would be a starting point, right. point guard, but like kind of the likes of like a um, maybe an Aaron Brooks style player, a guy mm-hmm. who can come in off the bench, and give you hit, contribute hit some, some points, threes. hit some threes, move the ball, or um, uh, who's the uh, backup uh, Jones for uh, the Timberwolves? Tyus Jones. Yes, Tyus Jones. Yeah. Like maybe a player like that. You come in, you play back a point guard, you see kind of how it goes. But I, I wouldn't pencil him in as like a, a lottery pick. Not, not close. Okay, I just was wondering because I know seeing him and you know most people know his story. His dad uh, was uh, was Ricky Brunson. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, he still is. I don't think his dad is passed or anything. <laughs> yeah, he's he's still around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. still around. Uh, played actually with the uh, Bulls for a little while and. Uh, you know, Jalen Brunson was on the you know on the forefront as soon as he went to Stevenson. Uh, got that, that you know you don't think of Stevenson usually as a basketball power. They became one, and um, he was very very good. So I was eager. I was very eager to see him stick around. And just like John Shire, oh, yeah. he said no. And then well, you get to see else. him. He's just on. <laughs> he's on national TV. He's on national right. TV, and that's probably why he's playing left. in a national championship game. Right. Yeah. Instead of sticking around and going to DePaul and being yeah. on national TV once or twice because of the other team they're playing, they, <laughs> he gets yeah. Well, that goes to back go. to what you were saying. He he had a plan. He wants to yeah. graduate in three years, and he wants to win a national championship game. You can't do that at schools in Illinois. Yeah. See, so uh, why stay, Fred? You're talking to two kids that went to Libertyville, so we know all about Stevenson. It's uh-huh. uh, it's our rivals, so uh, we, okay. we, we're not big fans of Stevenson. I'm sure everyone that's up in that area, they're sure. very nice people. Uh, but we went to Libertyville, so yeah. uh, lib high rules. So that's all I want <laughs> to throw out there. There, there are a lot go. of uh, tough Ste- Stevenson games. Stevenson was always known for. Didn't they have a bank in their high school? I don't know. I, 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 I know they had, had a food ba- court. Like that was the thing is they had a food court. They had a not Taco just, Bell and yeah. a, a Subway in, their, in, in the high school. In the okay. high school, right. And then this the rumor was that they always had a bank. My wife has been there. The high school is. The size of a college. Uh-huh. They, they, I know they have a food court in the school. Yeah. The rumor was that they always had a, that they had a bank, and like because we always made fun. Of, they were rich kids that they could just go in and get their direct deposit right from their parents, <laughs> and then pay for lunch. Pay right for there. lunch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's nice. I, my wife was at uh, Hinsdale Central for a long time. The one thing about Hinsdale Central is there's a it, Hinsdale is kind of a richer area. A lot, several of the coaches from um, that coach. 
Uh, winter sports in Chicago. I guess that's pretty easy to figure out who they are. Uh, live mm. in the area. Uh, <laughs> live in that area. Maybe with mustaches, perhaps. <laughs> well, occasionally. One, the other yeah. one just doesn't never ties his, his tie. Oh. Um, huh. That's a health thing. Yeah, but huh. but uh, interesting. That school is old. They've they've improved like the athletic department, but the the school itself and the cafeteria, eh, not so much, not so good. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a Taco Bell in our school. At no, heck I no. Mean, I don't we had think Taco they do Tuesday now. though. Hey, those are great. We had Taco yeah. Tuesday. Did you we really have a Taco Bell? Yeah, we had Taco Tuesday. We had um, we had pasta every day was an option. Mm-hmm. Yes. I always went for the dollar with, with uh, the watered down cheese with sauce. the watered down sauce. Yeah, I always went for the dollar bagel cream cheese option because yeah, that's a good option. If I got three dollars for lunch, I get to oh. pocket two bucks. You know what the key was though? The honey buns. Oh, those honey buns. Yeah, you know and you know the honey bun? You yeah, get, I know what they are. They yeah. had like a whole rack of honey buns. It was the best. We and, uh two of my friends worked in the food, you know, behind the counter. One guy worked for the in the milk department. Again, I'm a lot older than you guys. But I would walk into the cafeteria and he would flip me two cartons of chocolate milk. Which at the time the small cartons were two cents and the bigger ones were four cents. Oh yeah, yeah. So he would. Well, they went up before I got out of school. Uh, so to he a would, dime. He would. I think it was then four and eight. Oh okay. Yeah. So he would flip me two cartons and I would keep walking. And my other buddy behind the counter would flip me two cheeseburgers, and that was my lunch every day. Yeah, the two cheeseburger deal. I oh like my that. god! If wrapped I was feeling, in, wrapped in gold yes. wrapping, so yeah. to differentiate from the regular yes. hamburger. If I was feeling frisky, I'd get the two cookies for a uh, dollar. Also, those those cookies they were like this big, and the, the middle's never cooked. We See? had those. So it's like so it's the, but you liked it. It was never. Oh cooked, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's yeah of key, course, right? Of course. See, and Fred, this is why our generation is closer to your generation than you think. Because we still experience some of the good old-fashioned things in life. Yeah. Where kids now, they just get handed a, a bag of uh, kale, and, and that's all they eat. I know. For, like, you kale. know, like, you think high school kids now get the, the two-cheeseburger deal, no. the honey bun? Like, Heck no. We turned out fine. Yeah. Abdullah, yeah. look at Abdullah. Look at this specimen. Because <laughs> if I didn't have that sugar, I wasn't making it to seventh look period. Look at how doughy you are. Yeah, yeah, look at that's this. Good. This that's is good. nice. That's, it's insulation. It's 25 it degrees in this city. We all turned out okay. I'm yeah, good. we're not bad. You we don't tried. have to eat like a rabbit. No, you don't. No. Only, we've got one guy here that does that. Now he's sad. Maybe you think maybe he, he can't. He, you think maybe he blew off his diet because he's no, in, no, in mourning no, no. for he, Kansas. He got up early to work out to try and help build self next year. Try and uh, not get bounced. It's like the end of the movie Dodgeball, where Ben Stiller's just <laughs> gorging himself and he's like five hundred pounds. That's Danny right now. He is uh, Adam Abdallah, Chris Black, Fred Huberman. We come back. We'll talk more about uh, Loyola's loss. We'll talk more about the NCAA tournament. We may even mention Kansas and what happened to them last night. It was not pretty. Uh, for most of the game, it was not pretty. Uh, top of the hour, Jesse Rogers will join us. Baseball talk. What's going on with you, Darvish? We'll talk about that and much more right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. We're here until noon. Hope to be talking to Lou Canellis from Fox, a Loyola grad. He was down in San Antonio. He's uh, hoping to join us around 11. Jesse will join us around 10 o'clock, top of the hour. And uh, JD is just, you know, in, in plane, in uh, air, air, airplane limbo. Well, he's on a plane and his, he has a connecting flight that leaves in like 10 minutes. Oh, no. And they haven't gotten off the plane yet yeah and so jd's uh, gonna have to sprint through the airport so yeah jd's gonna have to home alone through the airport and then he'll either join us from a chili's to go 
or he won't join us. Uh, Eric, do you know what airport this is happening at? He's in Charlotte. So he oh, okay. no, no, that's a good airport. San Antonio to Charlotte, and now he's been sitting on the tarmac at Charlotte. Charlotte's a good airport, though. Yeah. You, you got the, the big uh, Anirondack uh, chairs. Well, and the chili sauce. Oh, like the oversized ones. Yeah, and they've got the uh, barbecue, and they also have the mural to NASCAR. Have you seen this in the 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 Yeah, and the uh, the chilies to go, the tables are all all NASCAR NASCAR. themed, so you can pick a driver and sit at their table. I haven't been to Charlotte. So when you pass through security going into the the Charlotte airport, you have to be in Charlotte to go through security, right? Like, you can't be connecting. But as you walk through, there's this gigantic mural of NASCARs past. And future. And you know what meets in the middle? What? The Earnhardts. Do they really? Yes. Just standing there? They're next to each other. <laughs> That's the past and the, the future of NASCAR right there in the middle and then all the greats. I didn't know Michelangelo did murals yeah. for uh, yeah. Charlotte. It's Charlotte. Before he, before he passed. Hey, by the way, today's White Sox game has been postponed due to the bitter, bitter cold and expected snow accumulation. Not just a little bit of snow, but <laughs> snow accumulation, they say. Can I? Okay. <laughs> Can I tell you something, Fred, as a baseball person? Uh-huh. Why are your schedulers dummies? Okay. I don't get it. I, I, You should never play in Kansas. You should never play north of the Mason-Dixon or in a non-domed stadium. Correct. The first and great week or use two of the this. Mason-Dixon. Yeah. That's, yes. Because agree everybody should agree. be south. Everybody should be south. Now, or in a dome. Yeah. If you have a dome, play in a dome. That's fine. But, like... There's games that were postponed on opening day, and I know you have the built you have the built-in day. But then also on opening weekend, you have how many? T- you have six teams off that you said we were talking today, about earlier. There's six teams, six teams, off, teams off on Sunday. You want now eight? You've got nothing else going today. on today. If you're not an NBA fan, there's a bunch of NBA games on today. But if you want to watch baseball today, and there's six teams that aren't playing, come on. Yeah. Well, here is some of the home teams this, uh, today. The Dodgers play the Giants. Okay, two warm weather teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Seattle playing Cleveland. That's in Seattle. They are the dome there. Uh, Oakland and LA play. That's silly. Yep. Uh, Texas and Houston play each other. Well, that's right. beyond dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's beyond dumb. <laughs> I mean, t- Toronto plays the Yankees. They've got a All dome. Right. All right. Minnesota's at Baltimore. Minnesota's outdoors now. They're not indoors anymore. They're at Target Field. So. What I want to know is if you're a fan of one of the six teams that aren't playing today, and now the White Sox and the Royals are mixed in, so eight teams not playing today, yeah. how are you supposed to ignore your family during Easter? I don't know. I don't know. I planned on doing that. And now I now I can't. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you can Actually, watch the NBA, Fred. There's a Bulls game on at two thirty. Yeah, I know. Actually, I was going to go to my sister's house because she was going to make uh, something. And before I went to my mas or to to my uh, in laws' house, but then now I don't know what's going to happen. Fred, later, can we get to the fact that your sport botched their opening day? We can. Can we get to that? We can get it right after Jesse because right. we don't need to talk to Jesse for twenty minutes. No. Sometimes he just goes, though. <laughs> Sometimes he does. But there have been some interesting games. They also got an idea about uh, extra innings that a uh, former Cub has uh, mentioned, and uh, I think everyone's going to hate it. So we'll talk about that much, much more. Jesse will join us we come back. It is Chicago's Game Day on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Deep to left field, and it is Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. Bases clean. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com.
Welcome back in Chicago's game day. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. I'm Fred Hubner. We'll be here until noon. We'll get back to a little Loyola talk later on. Uh, we may have Jeff Dickerson joining us. Lou Canellas from Fox hopes to join us around 11 o'clock. We get a lot to talk about. Some football we'll get into. The White Sox game in Kansas City has been postponed. They'll play a day-night doubleheader later in the season. So the White Sox now head to Toronto. And uh, the Cubs, they just keep on rolling against those Miami Marlins after a uh, win last night. And we bring in our guy and the Studio Hot Rods hotline. He loves extra inning baseball. It's Jesse Rogers. Hey, Jess. Hey, good morning, guys. What's going on? Yeah. Nine hours and 20 minutes of baseball over the last two nights I've watched. So uh, it's been a long couple, three games. Uh, basically, the Cubs have played in Marlins as well, four games in three days so far. So we'll see how they react to the uh, day game after a night game last night. You know, Jess, you, you look at it, and I was telling the guys earlier, the schedule comes out, and you see you've got four games in Miami against the Marlins, who just get rid of every player they have that anybody knew. Uh, you know, four guys going around, D. Gordon gone, Giancarlo Stanton gone, Ozuna gone, uh, Yelich gone. You figure, ah, stroll on down to Miami, pick up four easy victories, and, and move on to Cincinnati. It's been anything but in these first three games. No, the, the Marlins have been pesky. They absolutely have been. And to think a four-game sweep on the road to start the season was just going to be that easy. Come on. doesn't matter who you're playing. It's baseball. Anything can happen. Now, if they go 2-2, two and two, it is a little bit disappointing. But if they if they win today, it's it's kind of what you you would hope for. I don't think you can predict a four game sweep to open the season. And I keep saying open the season because it's unpredictable at times. You know, guys aren't in their peak form, obviously. But the Marlins have played hard. Give them credit; they haven't given up in these couple extra inning games. And uh, you know, they have one win. But today, obviously, sort of makes a difference in terms of how you feel about this series. Three and one, you're fine. Two and two, you're a little disappointed. But no matter how it turns out, it's not the biggest deal in the world. We have a long year to go. Jesse, yesterday, uh, you Darvish went four and a third. He gave up uh, five runs, five earned. What did you take away from you Darvish on the mound yesterday? Well, didn't like what I saw. It's one game, and I think one of the things as a fan or even, you know, certainly as a reporter, um, you do have to weigh one game versus the, the bigger picture, right? In football, one game is so meaningful. In hockey and basketball, a little less so, and even less in baseball. Then again, for a starting pitcher, they only have 32 chances. He's down to 31 if he stays healthy. And here's the thing you look at. Does the performance play into a bigger narrative? And in a way, it does with Darvish, okay? Um, this is when they needed a, a, an innings eater out of him, right? An innings eating night out of him, I should say. They needed him to come up big. First start, coming off that bad World Series, coming off a 17-inning game where your bullpen's been tacked. He can't get out of the fifth. First time, uh, I should say, second time in his career, he's thrown 100 pitches or more and not gotten through five innings. It was a bad performance. His fastball was all over the place. He was getting no swings and misses with it, even though he was throwing 94 miles an hour. But it was, it was just not a pitch that they were chasing. So I don't know how else to say it. It was a bad performance that plays into a narrative. And you would think coming off the World Series, he'd have a little chip on his shoulder. I mean, the whole baseball world was criticizing this guy. He signs the big contract, and he can't come up big. So it is one game, but like I said, it does play into somewhat of a bigger narrative about him. People will use the word soft. I think that's a little harsh. But there's, for, for a first start, it was a big moment in the smaller sense. And I wrote in my piece last night, it's not as big as the Dodgers game last year, Game 7, right, when he pitched for them. 
But in its own little world, it was a big start trying to save the bullpen, and he came up short. So I know there are critics out there. They're going to say, look, I told you so with this guy. Of course you got to give him a little bit more than one start, obviously. But again, there's a narrative there. He's got to, he's got to flip, it, flip it upside down, right? That's what he has to do and show that he's an elite pitcher for 32 starts, not 31 or 30. And that means he's going to lose some games, obviously. But it should mean that he's able to get through five innings when you need him at his best. And Jesse, adding to the narrative, Darvish said after the game, overall, I don't think my outing was too bad. It's just that they made me throw more pitches than I expected, so the rhythm got kind of inconsistent there. Was there a miscommunication between him and the uh, Cubs that he's a pitcher and that it's his job to pitch? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, it's going to be a little weird with the with the you know the whole situation with Darvish can be considered weird. First of all, he talked about maybe he had a cramp that he. Joe away. No, there's no cramp. Then he mentioned dehydration. It's a perfect night to pitch. It was not humid. This is not July in Miami, okay? It's March, and the roof's open for a reason because the weather was perfect. And then you talk about, um, you know, he mentioned, oh, my first starts back in Japan every year were bad. Well, wait a minute. You've been here for seven years. So someone followed <laughs> up and said, well, what about your first starts in Texas? He said, then too. So I looked it up. He had a 365 ERA over his first starts in Texas, which is slightly higher than his career ERA. So I get first start jitters with a new team. I get that. And that's why we're going to reserve total judgment. And then there's, you know, obviously he's, he's doing interviews with his interpreter when he doesn't really need to. He speaks English. He hears the questions, but he still uses the interpreter. So going back to what you mentioned, I'm not sure what gets lost in translation here when he talks about the things he did. So this whole thing feels a little off kilter maybe again it's you don't have that one-on-one you know access um in the same way you do with it with a with a completely english-speaking player i guess is the way to put it so let's see how this thing plays out. i have no doubt he'll be good because his stuff is really good but will he be elite and will he be elite in big games that's the question with you darvish Jesse, what was the feeling and what was the sounds made by the writers and yourself and everybody when they you couldn't tell what was wrong with Darvish? It was a cramp. It was elbow, his arm. What was what was everybody going through when they went out to the mound? Because Joe and the, the trainer got out there pretty darn quick. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, it was the same inning where he got hit in the foot by a hard hit ball. So didn't know if that was it at first. But obviously, they started looking at his arm. I didn't know what to think. Um, and, and then, the, the, again, the explanation was I thought it was cramping, but it didn't. So he must have felt something for a moment, and then it went away. And maybe, you know, his body language caused the trainer to come out, but he said it went away right away. And then he mentioned dehydration. So I, I don't know what to make of all that. All I know is uh, his velocity after that wasn't great. Now, his velocity was okay throughout the outing, but I would have thought I looked at his velocity in the first thing especially because here the adrenaline should be pumping. Coming up a spring, a smooth spring, where he's throwing 96 to 98. In that first inning, 94, which is good, but not what I actually thought I'd, I'd see or hear. You know, the glove popping sort of thing. So his velocity kind of hovered around there, and then he came down after that cramp or uh, hit in the foot. So, I don't know, it was just an uneven, shaky performance from start to finish. I mean, he hits the first guy, gives up a home run to the second guy, kind of settles down, but then, you know, his finish to his outing is bad. Like I said, uh, one swing and miss on his fastball out of 22 swings. They made contact on, on the other 21, and that was one of the worst of his career. 100 pitches in less than five innings, one of the worst of his career. Just not a good start. 
Jesse, I wasn't planning on asking this question, but now that we've gone down this you Darvish rabbit hole about his mental makeup, if he's not elite this year, like we were saying, that's what he needs to be. What is the ceiling on this Cubs team? It's still pretty good. I mean, there's still I know questions about Lester, and I mean, again, it's it's the it's the bigger storylines, right? The long term narratives. I think with Darvish, it, this one played right into his narrative. With Lester, his first start, it played a little bit into his narrative because he had a bad season last year. So if you're telling me from one start, and I'm just saying, if we know right now that Lester and and Darvish are not going to be elite, puts a little bit more pressure on the other guys. Now I think Hendricks, Quintana, and Chad would all have the ability to be elite. So we don't know who the best pitcher on this team is going to be over 32 starts, 162 games. But the point is this, they probably don't need Darvish and Lester to finish in the top 10 in Cy Young for this team to win the division. And that's the beauty of the depth of this team. So they're still okay. Now, if you're, if you're telling me these guys are going to go 2-12 and 12 with a 5 ERA, different story. But if we're just saying they may have high threes or low fours ERA, I still think the Cubs will be okay. So they are fortunate um, in a sense. They make all this money and all that stuff, and there's a great team around them. Jose Quintana could be their best pitcher. He pitches today. He's... He knows he's a pitcher, right? There's no miscommunication there. Like he knows he's supposed to play today. I'm just making sure. Yeah. Well, I Jesse's think like, am I supposed to answer pitcher. this? Or no? no, I mean, just, yeah. all right. Just uh, tell me something about Quintana. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think Hendricks going, is going to be their best pitcher, um, and he already proved it with a pretty good outing, at least one one time through the rotation here. Um, you know, I like Quintana. I, I don't think. Um, he's an ace. Like you know, there was that debate last year when he got traded over here. Right. He's a nice middle of the rotation pitcher. And again, it's a situation where they need to eat up innings. And Madden mentioned that. And he, and he's right over the course of his career, he's he's been in innings eaters. One thing the Cubs really liked about him. And just like Darvish yesterday, they need it again today. At some point, you have to give this bullpen a rest. I don't care if it's early in the season. Remember, in spring training, they're not going back to back to back. They're not going multiple innings. You build up to that. And already we're seeing Mike Montgomery on pace for 162 games. So, uh, man, he's got to go six or seven. This is the Marlins. This isn't the Yankees. So uh, we'll, we'll find out what his mental makeup is. And, and again, going back to Darvish and, and the narratives, there's exactly, again, that plays into the whole Jake Arrieta thing as well. You need Arietta to grind through five or six. He'll do it for you. It may not look pretty, but he will. Darvish wasn't able to do that. And that's why when people ask, I think right now Arietta actually is a better pitcher because he can win with great stuff and he can win with bad stuff. Uh, Darvish proved again he can't win or get through a, a long stint with bad stuff. That proved what was proven yesterday. So I still think Darvish has better stuff than almost anybody in the league. But if it doesn't show up, what does it matter? And that's kind of what I wrote last night. You know, it just doesn't matter if it's not there. Then then we're talking about a different kind of pitcher. So um, you know, Katana I think learned a lot in the second half with the Cubs last year uh, about game plans and stuff. And remember, he, he kind of bottomed out a little bit after a great start. Then he built his way back up and finished well. So let's see if he picks up where he left off. Jess, uh, Ian Happ got another start and two more strikeouts. He's got eight strikeouts in three games. Uh, eventually that's got to change or there's going to be another uh, leadoff guy? Or what, what do you see from Happ? It's not about leadoff guy. It might just be a guy that doesn't play as much. I mean, that's the bottom line. Forget about the, the leadoff spot. And again, it just reminds me of Schwarber. I don't think he's striking out because he's leading off. Right. He proved in camp that it doesn't mess with him. He's just a guy that strikes out a lot. And, and obviously Schwarber is as well. But Schwarber 
conceivably, theoretically, has a better command of the strike zone. Hap does not. He's a free swinger. So whether he bats leadoff or not, he's got to organize his strike zone a little bit better. He's sitting today because there's a lefty on the mound, so Almora Jr. is going to be back up there today. Uh, but all these, not all these guys, a lot of these guys are still a work in progress, App included, Elmore included. Schwarber started every game. I think they like what they're seeing out of his swings. Um, and I, I can't disagree with them. He's still going to have his strikeouts, of course, but when he puts bat on ball, he usually hits it hard, and we saw that again yesterday. So, um, you know, it's not about leading off. It's about having good at-bats no matter, no matter where you are in the lineup. So, in a way, in a small sample size, Hap is proving Madden and the Cubs right about Schwarber last year. It doesn't matter where you bat. If you don't organize your strike zone, you start swinging outside of it, you're going to have some problems. And after that first home run, he's had some problems. Speaking of Kyle Schwarber, he has two home runs early on. Do you think he'll lead the National League in home runs? Um, that's a good question. Probably not. Probably not. Um, lefties at Wrigley Field. I mean, uh, if you really want me to dive, uh, dig deep on this, it might depend on the weather. Lefties at Wrigley Field, it's not easy to hit 40 home runs. Um, the, the, the wind patterns and things like that make it real difficult. Now, if he's hitting a lot, out a lot to left center, that's where he's – if he can hit 10 to 15 out to left center, that's a great sign. So I don't know about leading the league. I have to think about the other contenders. But he could be right there. I mean, in a bad year, he hit 30. So let's, put, let's say he's in the top five. And if the weather cooperates, maybe he does reach 40 and he does lead the league. Jesse, did you actually? Did you guys actually think that when Schwarber hit that ball last night, it might have left the stadium? Boy, he hit it hard. He yeah. hit it hard. It only was measured at four oh seven because he pulled it so much, and people were tweeting at me. There, there, there's there's uh, numbers all over this ballpark. Three thirty five down the line. They even have a distance at the top of the upper deck four forty eight. So I think it's a per, you know it's kind of in between three thirty five yeah. and four forty eight. The four oh seven made sense. But he did feel like he crushed that ball. No doubt. And the ball has not traveled well here with the roof open. I, I, I don't think I've covered a game with the roof, roof open at night, and the conditions are not right for home run hitters. Uh, players have said that as well. So that thing did look like it was hit further. Um, and remember, he crushed another one after that as well yeah. down the line uh, for a double. So when he's been on, he's had great backs, bat speed and really been able to pull balls um, which is a great sign for him. He needs to see, We need to see that out of him and also go to left center as well. Josh, we appreciate it. Enjoy the final game and your trip to Cincinnati, okay? You got it, guys. A lot a lot more fun in Miami, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I, Nothing I, against Cincinnati, yeah. but it has been gorgeous this week. Yeah, so, I can only imagine. Talk to you later. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Jesse Rogers uh, in Miami, and uh, heck, if if it's snowing right now and really cold in Kansas City where the game has been canceled, there's a good chance that that may get to Cincinnati by tomorrow. I mean, maybe miss us and go to Cincinnati because it's a little south of us, so we'll see if the Cubs are even going to get an opportunity to play. For those who are interested, Almora is leading off, as Jesse mentioned. Bryant is second, then Rizzo. Uh, hitting third, Addison Russell fourth, Schwarber fifth and left. Victor Caratini behind the plate getting a start, Jason Hayward's in right. Javi Baez is at second, and Jose Quintana is pitching. He did mention that um, there's a left-handed pitcher on the mound. I don't know. If I'm Joe, I might have gone with Zobris instead of Hayward. 
just because, you know, Zobris seems to be hitting the ball and putting that, having good contact in the first couple of games. But that's just, you know, there's a lot more games for us to worry about those kind of things. If we look to your forecast uh, for Cincinnati, um, today a high of 51 with a 20% chance of rain. Tomorrow, a 10% chance of rain, a high of 53. Tuesday is the uh, weather day. That's a 90% chance of rain. 73 degrees, though, you're high in Cincinnati on Tuesday. But, like I said, a 90% chance of rain right around game time. Weather day? Weather day. So you're going to weather? If Cincinnati's, uh, you know, as much fun as Jesse made it out to be, um, then Cincinnati on a rain out would have to be even more fun, wouldn't it? Well, the Cubs are off on Wednesday. I don't know if the Reds are, uh, so they might have a makeup day, I guess, or they can play well into the evening to the joy of. Cubs and Reds reporters everywhere. Okay. Can we dive into this uh, you Darvish conversation we were having? Yes, yes, we can. Um, because I, I think even though Jesse kept bringing up that it's a narrative that you have to look at overall with you Darvish, to me, like that's going to be. I agree with Jesse. That's going to be the major storyline when we look at you Darvish throughout this season. You're going to compare him to Jake Arrieta, what Arrieta did here, what he's doing with the Phillies, and then you're going to look at you Darvish and say, is this guy really an elite pitcher? And I know that there are tons of stats we can go to, his strikeout ratio, swing and miss ratio, all this stuff. But does he have the mental makeup to be an elite starter, stopper guy in the in the pitching rotation? And, you know, I went back through his game logs last year because uh, we all remember what happened in the playoffs where he blew up in the World right. Series, right? Uh, it was terrible. Only Two games. four times last season did he pitch four and a third or less in a game. All the other starts he had last season, he pitched on through the fourth inning or or okay. longer throughout. So, you know, I, maybe it's just opening day jitters, but Jesse's right on the money. After uh, extra innings games, using the bullpen, you need your starter to come out there and eat some innings. And yeah. we didn't get that from you, Darvish, yesterday. Well, well, before the game, really quickly, before the game yesterday, when Jesse joined me and Murph, uh, he's, we were talking about how Kyle Hendricks only threw 88 pitches in six innings, but... It was a tied game, and Hendricks' spot was coming up in the rota- in the batting order in the seventh inning, so they pulled Hendricks. I thought Hendricks could have went an extra inning because they were short of pitchers because of the extra inning game. Or well, they were they're just not short of pitchers because that was the extra inning game. But I thought he could have gone an extra inning. So we figured that you Darvish would have to go throw hundred pitches. Right. So he throws hundred pitches, but he only makes it through four and a third. And then you can imagine that that just throws the, the bullpen up for grabs again because they didn't want to throw Montgomery for the third straight game, as Jesse was saying. Well, we can get into the extra inning games in, in a little bit. Cause oh, we I, will, because I got some stuff here. Yeah, because there's a point where I think that you should just just throw the game at a certain point because <laughs> it's ridiculous because it messes you up for weeks. There's a, there's a couple other suggestions that I think you might find interesting. But well, pitchers are fickle beasts. And if you look well, yeah. at, at, the, at the, the quotes after yesterday's game, there's the one from Darvin that said they made me throw more pitches than I expected so the rhythm got inconsistent here so at a certain point he thought he had like a pitch limit set and then as soon as he met that pitch limit regardless of the situation he thought that Madden would come and get him and if you what Wilson Contreras said yesterday he was probably too anxious to have a great debut he missed a lot of spots with his fastball even with a slider too he didn't have it today so maybe the jitters or whatever the pressure of being on a new team and, and coming off the World Series and having you know all of this pressure on him to perform maybe it just got to him or yeah. something and having okay but that goes to the whole conversation yes. of his mental makeup exactly right? it does i mean you expect and and jesse mentioned it and we can keep talking about it but 
That's why you like Jake Arrieta. Uh-huh. Even when he was bad, he got through games, he grinded it out, mm-hmm. and that's something that this Cubs team needed right. in a number one ace type guy. Because even if you have that one game wild card uh, playing game, you look at it and say, okay, maybe uh, Arietta doesn't have it. At least he'll get you to a point to keep you in the game. I get the impression that you Darvish, when he collapses, it's just kind of, that's it. He's done. Well, there's a difference. Arietta was so by the end he got through that wild card game and then he was so exhausted because he was so amped up for and throwing so hard during that wild card game that it messed him up for the rest of the of the playoffs then but to have a guy like Darvish who was like well I'm done like you can't you can't have a guy who's going to be the ace of your staff who thinks he's on a pitch count maybe there's a miscommunication i'm all amped up for opening day that's you're supposed to be a big game pitcher like that's your job you're a big game pitcher you're the ace of a staff they brought you in to be uh, to win a world series right. like your their goal is to be in a high leverage world series game where you darvish is on the mound in some situations starting the world series being in the sixth game or fifth game whatever and now the questions start about his mental makeup, and it's going to be like that for the entire season. Well, wouldn't you think that starting on the road in Miami, where he's throwing before fewer people than he threw at in spring training games in Arizona, would be the perfect place? Nothing to worry about. Go on out there. Don't worry. Just go on out and throw your stuff. You shouldn't be nervous about your first game with a new team when you're throwing it. Like I said, there were 13,000 people there. I'm pr- most of them were Cub fans. Will there be a game this season where there's less pressure than the one he just pitched in? Mm, I wouldn't think so. Probably not. I mean, and we can ask at 312-332-3776. I mean, in your eyes, is you Darvish an elite pitcher? Because I think people are on both sides of it. You know, I think um, you can be nitpicky and say he's a really good pitcher. And, like, uh, I want to bring up to you guys that Fangraphs did uh, positional rankings as well as the team rankings for this season. And when they did the pitching staff for the Chicago Cubs, they don't have Yu Darvish as the number one war pitcher for the Cubs. Okay. It's Jose Quintana. So they project Quintana to be the ace of the staff. They have Yu Darvish second in war. Third would be John Lester, then Kyle Hendricks, then Tyler Chatwood. But... I think Cub fans and most people who are watching this Cubs team say that Darvish has to be elite and a number one starter for this team to be the best team in baseball, sure. to go deep in the playoffs. And if you Darvish is not that, what will this Cubs team be able to accomplish? And that's why they chose him instead of Arietta. Right, exactly. Arietta's numbers were going down a little bit, but you know the one thing. And Quintana, as a Sox fan, I knew this, and you know this with Quintana, he will always go out there and grind it out, too. He doesn't give you, he doesn't have the same type stuff as Arietta had, but he's a guy that's going to go out there and get you to the fifth and sixth and seventh inning if you need to. He'll stick around for an extra inning. He can go later in games. Um, you don't see him leaving a lot of games early. Well, that's exactly in the Fangrass projections. They have Jose Quintana with 200 innings pitched for this season. You Darvish at 174. And doesn't that that's speak not, to exactly yeah. what you're talking about? Because uh-huh. Quintana will battle through. He'll get through some spots. He'll give you some innings. Or you Darvish will just, that's that's it. Because they also project Lester at 194, Kyle Hendricks at 169. They must think, they must think he's going to get hurt. And uh, Tyler Chatwood at 139. Huh. Because so either, Lester either, said before the season he wants to hit 200. Yeah. So well, they got him getting close. I mean, ultimately, but, you're going to use more 
than just five starting pitchers throughout the year. So maybe that's why there's some drop off. Like they're gonna get maybe they account Montgomery for more off Montgomery yeah, more. They, that's why they figured Chatwood's only getting what was it one thirty nine one thirty one thirty nine innings pitched. They have Mike Montgomery at twenty eight, Eddie Butler at twenty eight. Innings pitched? Yeah. Oh, well, so maybe Butler, they're not yeah, considering. Yeah. Well, Butler. Butler's are you he's a quarter of the way there. there. He's almost there. <laughs> well, I think that's only, a third a, of the that, way there, I think I that's think. only assuming starting. Okay. okay. So, yeah, so you, throughout a season, you're using more than five starting pitchers. So maybe that's why they're accounting for it. But the Darvish numbers, I don't know. Cubs fans should be concerned, I think. Yeah. Cub fans, you're concerned about you, Darvish. Let us know. 312-332-3776. Granted, it was the very first game in a Cubs uniform. Also, two extra inning games in the first three for the Northsiders. A couple of um, suggestions uh, in Gordon Whitmire's column today in the Sun-Times about those extra innings and maybe ways to change the rule. We'll talk about that when we come back. It's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. That's a base hit. Baez around third. He's going to be set. He will score. Cubs lead 7-6. Ben Zobras with a big hit. Now ball there. Huge Hayward Almora Relay Save Caratinian Bryant to third 10 to 6 This is Chicago's game day Only on ESPN 1000 And ESPNChicago.com Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. Usually at this time, we didn't play the Open, and Chris reminded me, uh, we do Fred's baseball notebook. But I've got so much baseball, it's even more than a notebook. It's kind of like a... That's fine, Fred. I don't know what you call it. Your season's in uh, full swing, as they say, on the baseball diamond. They all right, do. All right. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, they do say that in full swing. Uh, a couple of these we got to get to, those highlights, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. The White Sox game postponed for today in Kansas City. The White Sox open up a three-game set in Toronto. Um, indoors in Toronto. I've been there. That's kind of weird when there's that many people there, but it's a, it's a perfect place. And if you've never been to Toronto before, Toronto's the town you want to go. You can have tons of fun in uh, Toronto. Um But there's a couple things I want to get to in baseball. One of them is, this guy just keeps on playing, and he did it again last night. This one hit to left field. He up, backing up, running out of room on the track. Jumps, and I think he got it! He did it! He threw making a mark here in Seattle on his second stint. Standing ovation for the 44-year-old future Hall of Famer. The guy's 44 years wow. old, and he's robbing, robbing home runs from guys. I mean, that's great to see. But usually, a guy gets in his mid what well, You know, what's the thing in baseball now? They're not paying any of the free agents if they're if they're 30 or 31. This guy's 44 years old and playing the outfield. It's amazing. It, Still at it, a high level. It's incredible that he had such a great career before he even came to the major leagues. Yeah. And then he came over here and continued to produce the way he did. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing. And we go from what, you know, we went from you, Darvish, who, who was struggling, and we go to a 44 year old Ichiro who's who's doing it and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. Well, another thing I want to get to before we get to this extra inning thing, 
there's this new manager in baseball, Gabe Kapler, who you guys uh, probably have read over the last couple of years because he's written articles in, what was it, the Players, Players Tribune? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Players Tribune, and I think he was on MLB Network, and I think he, did, he, he may even have done some ESPN stuff. I'm, I'm not sure. But now he's the rookie manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. In the first two games of the season, he had used 15 pitchers, including taking out his starter, Aaron Nola, um, after 68 pitches, saying he had an outstanding performance. Okay, well, this is your opening day starter. You're taking him out after 68 pitches. He, he's an analytics guy, and he's he's big into, and I haven't seen it all, but I I have heard he's big into the you know the whole concept of third timer on the lineup right. and all the other things. You want to get a guy out and get somebody else in. Well, yesterday, a, an embarrassing situation. Oh, no. Uh, the team did not have a relief pitcher ready when he went to the mound to remove the starter. What? Yeah. Did you uh, that, that happened years ago with the White Sox when there was a guy named the manager was Terry Bevington. They went and they, they, he asked for a picture. There was no one warming up. It says here um, the delay between Kapler uh, when he called for lefty Hobie Milner and when Milner actually was ready to pitch resulted in the ejection of the Braves manager because Braves manager was upset. Kapler saying, well, miscommunication between the dugout and the bullpen and any time we have a miscommunication, it is my full responsibility. I'll take responsibility. But because of what's been happening with him, Ryan Howard, the former Philly, who is now doing stuff for ESPN, he had some comments about Kapler and him pulling his pitchers early. If a guy is, is throwing well, leave well enough alone. You know, you want to be able to save your bullpen over the course of a long season. You don't want guys getting used to trying to go, okay, all I got to do is just go five innings, five and dive, and then if the bullpen can come in and take over, you look at the Bumgarners, you look at the Kershaws, you look at the dominant pitchers in this game, when they take the ball, they want to go all nine innings, no matter what. And I think that a lot of these teams get to that point to where it's like, hey, you know, we want these young guys, we want to build their confidence by – taking them out in this situation or this and that. To me, I, I personally don't think that it helps build their confidence. The way you build confidence for a guy is being able to help let him get out of situations he gets himself in or letting that guy go deep into the game to be able to hand the ball off to his late-inning relievers so that that guy can get the win. Now, Ryan Howard said something that we talked about in the last segment with Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana is a guy that, you know, you go out there, he's struggling. You don't really get a guy up. You leave him out there because you let him work his way out of it. We'll see how Joe does it with him this year when he's got him for a full season. Uh, did you guys notice in the sound clip from Ryan Howard there, did he uh, mention you, Darvish, as uh, elite pitchers that want to keep going throughout no. the <laughs> Right, no. like, yeah, isn't that exactly <laughs> what we saw with you, Darvish, yesterday? He thought he had a pitch count and he wanted to duck out after he got to that number. Yeah, that's exactly what we're <laughs> right. Isn't that exactly what that soundbite is about, yeah. guys yes. who are like that? Yep. And right. you know, five and dive, he called it, and they didn't even yeah. get to five. He only got to four and a third yesterday, uh, giving up five runs and then 102 pitches. But. I've been teasing this a couple of times. I wanted to get to it. I'm going to read it, and then we can get to it and get your calls. I want to ask sure. you guys what you think about this. Okay, because Gordon Wittenmeyer's column in the Sun-Times, and I get the Sun-Times uh, in the Tribune because my wife likes to sell papers on Sundays, just so you know. That's, that's, the, only, that's the only reason? No, no, I read the sports okay. sections anyway, but... Uh, so I see there's like, uh, you can get Walgreens and Target and, do they still and do here the, you, can uh, buy a, you can buy a Cubs collector's watch. They right. put this in there. Do they still have the uh, comics section? Yes, they there? do right there. 
Comics. Would you like those? Yeah. Oh, there, like you those. can have the comics. Thank you. Yeah, they still have the comics. This is great. They're a lot more fun in color and, you know. You can... Yeah, they are in color. Oh, is that a crossword puzzle? There might. Uh, I don't know if there's I think or not. there's one on the back here. Oh, no. There's no. a uh, pin the tail on uh, pill, pin a tail on the donkey uh, little game. There you go. All okay, right. so in the Sun-Times today, 17-inning game leads to a talk of new rules, but tweaks may suffice. Now, we had the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, on the other day on the Waddle and Sylvie show, and Sylvie asked him about the possibility of ever going to the minor league rule with putting a runner at second base right. later on. And it makes sense in the minor leagues because mm-hmm. minor leagues are minor leagues. I mean, they don't really count for anything. Well, he uh, made the point that it's a developmental league first. Yeah. So you're not doing anybody any favors by pitching your pitchers longer and exactly. exhausting your bullpen and all that kind of stuff. Plus, the fans have already enjoyed themselves. Yeah. Okay, They've already had all of their experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, Some kids probably ran the bases mm-hmm. and competed with other people. And the mascot did his thing. You don't need to stick around there. So that makes sense. Now, this is after the 17-inning game for the Cubs. Gordon Wittenmeyer says the game was especially taxing because it was the second during an opening stretch of six games without a day off. Joe Madden said maybe after a 12-inning game, you can get an extra pitcher for a couple of days as opposed to radical surgery, maybe just some arthroscopic surgery. Now, he's being kind of sarcastic there at the end, but he's saying if we, you know, you're using your bullpen up, maybe you can get an extra guy. Jeff Samarja, the former Cub, had something to say. Samarja said... I've been watching soccer a ton, and I love it. Hmm. We should steal their idea of points. Do three for a win and one for a tie. Oh, God. And no extra innings at all, he said. Well, that way, it makes the ninth inning exciting every game because you can actually play for a point. You can actually play for a point. Now, it says here, you can't have a tie in baseball. You just can't. You can't do a point system. And he went back and said, why? Uh, because Americans can't tie. Someone has to be a winner. We're talking mentality and social issues here. We play 162 games. We can't tie 15 or 20 of them. What's the big deal? And who's being hurt by not playing extra innings? Relievers by not being able to get a win. So his point is seems outrageous. But... But it's actually, the more you look at it, it's probably not. And he brings up a point. I mean, soccer, we all we all watch soccer here. Love it. Watch and, it right now. Chelsea and Tottenham. Yes. So we understand points. We understand, you know, you get three for a win, you get one for a tie, you get nothing for a loss. Unlike hockey, where you lose a game and you get a point, and you, you lose in overtime. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. Dump and chase. Everybody but, needs a uh, trophy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his, his, his idea is not the dumbest of all. Um... 312-332-3776. Could you ever see a rule that would allow ties in baseball? 312-332-3776. And the other one, really quickly, before mm-hmm. before you go. Um, the other one, I tweeted it out the other day because I am totally against the man on second base in the major leagues. A man on second base in extra innings. But when it got to the 13th inning, I, te- I tweeted, okay, so when do we start with the guy at second base? Because it just got to the point where... It's not fun to watch. No. It well, goes on and on and, and, and on. And at a certain point, yes, I understand that there are 162 games and every game matters because sometimes you got to play in the uh, 163rd game. Right. But that's really rare and whatever. But second game of the season, like, just just throw some junk out there and end the game. So like, you're thinking just give it away. Just give yeah. it. There's got to be, and I know Jet Hoyer was on. This isn't the NBA, man. You're not tanking in baseball. He was, was on with Carmen. It was, it was on with Carmen yeah. and Yurko, right? And Jen Hoyer was talking about how 
you know, they do have conversations about this isn't the best case scenario. Winning this game isn't the best case scenario for us. So at a certain point, the effect that this has on your bullpen and your pitchers and your hitters long term, they went to extra innings yesterday. It was only an inning, right. granted, but it could have been five. It could have been more. It could yeah. have been 20. Right. We don't know. That's baseball. So at a certain point, Joe Madden has got to know, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna we're making the playoffs. So dude, one one game here, fifteenth inning. Uh, this is enough baseball throw for all in, of us. Throw it in the dirt and let a run score. Yeah, this is okay. this is enough baseball for all of us. Okay, that, that's not the only idea that baseball should take from soccer because if you're going to do a points system, right, then we should celebrate the team with the most points at the end of the regular season because yeah. The playoffs are great. Yeah. Let's have a playoffs for the championship. There should also be a champion for who wins the regular season because it's tougher to be the best team for 162 than it is to win the tournament. Yeah, because you could ride a hot pitcher. I mean, the Giants have done it with yeah. Baumgartner before. It's but... an accomplishment. They yeah. should celebrate. I never have understood why baseball doesn't celebrate with some kind of trophy, something for winning the regular season. Right, because, I mean, in... Um... In hockey, they have the president's trophy, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so they you know, actually get something. In soccer, obviously, you win the Premier League by winning the regular season. And every and then other, you can play right. in other tournaments. Yeah, and in every yeah. other league around the world, soccer, you do that. Yeah. Here they have playoffs, and I've even asked guys like Bastian Schweinsteiger and mm-hmm. Nemanja Nikolic of the Fire, how long is it taking you to figure this out? They said, well, we have playoffs in the other leagues, but it's just to go up to another league or to go down in another right. league. Right, the Never. championship is based right. on the regular season and winning. Exactly. I'm surprised that you're in favor of a point system. I mean, I'm not surprised because you're a soccer guy, but at the same time, any any change to baseball, Fred? Yeah, but you know what? The extra innings, I understand. You know, I, I am a traditionalist. I don't mind the extra inning games, but... You know, like you said, ten is fine. Seventeen's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it's not fun for anybody. Not fun for the fans. Not fun for the players, the managers, the pitchers. It's just it's just terrible. Let's grab a call before we take a break. Let's go on out to Wheaton and Zach. You're on ESPN One Thousand. Hey, Zach. Uh, I just want to point out that you know Tony Clark or one of the Giants Union reps should have probably talked to Samarja immediately after saying that because he is caught. Yeah, uh, if they went to that rule. He would be costing fellow relief pitchers and union members their job because there would not be the need for as many pitchers. Um, and, you know, Joe Madden's point, if they went to something like that, there would be a need to, for more pitchers. So as a general, like, union member stand, uh, standings, I think he probably should should not have said that. So that's all I wanted to say. Okay, Zach, we appreciate the call. You know what they could do? You know, at the end of the season, when they have, and I hate this part, they have a 40-man roster, mm-hmm. and uh, anybody can play. I yeah. mean, they, all of a sudden, you see 12, 15 relievers. You just keep bringing them in. You can do that all the time. They should have a thing at the beginning of every game like they do. I hate to refer to soccer again, but not really. Uh, in soccer, you have your 11 starters, and then you have a bench. They call it the 18, okay? If you make the 18, you're an extra goalkeeper and extra players. Well, in baseball, you're 20, you should have to turn in a 25-man roster before each game. The guys that pitch the day before that are not eligible to pitch, you should be able to have other pitchers. Yeah, right. Oh, that'd be awesome to replace to be, them. Right. Because 
Well, because then we get like you know in soccer you always get like the the shots of the guys that aren't because you're you're not allowed to be on the field if you're right. not part of the 18. So they're all, always like They'd up in a suite, like angry <laughs> that they're not on the 18. We'd get that for baseball games. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'm all about that. I, I think I mean there there are rules you can change in baseball. We can we need Rob Manfred to come sit with us on a Sunday morning. I don't know if that's going to happen again. For uh, we'll we'll, um, we'll uh, help him out. <laughs> Before we break, do you guys want one of these comics yes. uh, that, oh that Fred gave me? Oh, a good one. Give us a yeah. good one. Can you read me a Pooch Cafe, maybe? I'm, uh, no, I'm not going to give you the Pooch Cafe. Garfield's um, still around? Yeah, Garfield's right here. There's uh, actually so a comic called rats. Pearls Before Swine. I'm going to give you guys Pearls Before Swine. <laughs> That's on this side. <laughs> Pearls yeah. Before Swine. That's true, yeah. It these, sounds like these kids. Pigs. Sounds like a okay, restaurant. Uh, this is Grand Avenue uh, by Mike Thompson. Uh, it's a uh, The picture is uh, a grandmother... Uh, walking into a room with little kids, and she has two baskets. And the kids go, baskets! And she goes, it's Easter! And then the next part of the cartoon, oh, they, they look into the baskets, and they go, filled with vegetables. She goes, it's also April Fool's! If you prank me today, I'm going to punch If someone <laughs> pranks me today... Comics, I, Abdallah. I hate April Fool's. So Comics. It's one of my least favorite days. That grandmother thinks she's so funny. Look at her. Look at that. Vegetables in the Easter basket. There yeah, you go. Forget that. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner, 312-332-3776. Luke and Ellis expected to join us at the top of the hour. Talk some Loyola basketball here on ESPN 1000. Vegetables. See Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. We're here each and every Sunday morning. We'll get back to some Loyola basketball top of the hour. But um, we were talking about ways to change baseball. And Eric, Eric Gust, one of our uh, longtime um, tweeters, he said, hey, how about a tie after 12 innings? That means... Another time through the batting order seems fair. You get one more time through the batting order, so you get three more innings. If it's still tied at that point, boom, one point each. Go home, come back tomorrow. I'm with it. I think the tie is a good idea, and I think the fact that you allow each team to go through the lineup once yeah. once again at the mm-hmm. end, that, that's fine. Yeah, that's you, do, that. you do not need to play no. 20 innings. And just think, they cut off beer sales in the 7th, so you, you had 10 innings oh. there of no beer sales in Miami. Yeah, That's, that's not fun. Just the Seagulls watching the game. That's all you get. <laughs> you can't do that. Loyola Talk, we come back right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. That is going to do it. Michigan ends the magic of the Ramblin' Men. The Michigan Wolverines are in the national championship game, knocking off the Ramblers of Loyola, Chicago, 69-57. The Wolverines are in the title game for the first time since 2013. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Hope you're having a enjoyable Sunday morning. Happy Easter to all of those who it applies. Uh, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, me, I'm Fred Hubner, talking about the Loyola Ramblers as their tournament run came to an end last night. And our next guest joining us in the studio, Hot Rods Hotline. I met this guy when he was in college going to Loyola. And I worked with him at Sports Phone, and then he made the right move, and he branched off into TV. Now he's a, a big, rich guy, and he's always on TV during Bears games, and he's taking pictures with Sister Jean, and it's nice that he has spends a little bit of time to join us here on ESPN 1000. It is our good friend, Lou Canellas. Hello, Lou. 
Good morning, happy Easter, boys. It's uh, a pleasure to join you all. Well, you know, uh, I when back in the days when we used to go with Brian Wheeler and play ba- pick up basketball at the old gym at Loyola, could you have ever envisioned the Loyola Ramblers going to the Final Four? You know what, friend? I uh, I did my closing stand-ups last night here, and I said something uh, about as a Loyola kid. And I mean, I remember back in 84, 85, 86, doing the games in the old alumni gym, having to crawl my way. And remember, I'm five seven and a half. It's not like I'm six foot five. Crawl my way up in that balcony area at yep. the old alumni gym, underneath the pipe, so I could call the games with Wheeler. At that time, I also called them with Tom Westenfeld. And I thought, you know, I had seen it all in '85 when I was fortunate to do the games on WLUW, the student station, without Frederick Hughes and Gogo Olson, and that terrific fun run. But what I experienced this year, you know, it's in your blood, guys. And I know a lot of Cub fans out there who lived and died with the Cubs for so many years can can understand what I'm saying. When they won the World Series, it was something special. It made you break down. It was emotional. It was an experience that thought you thought maybe you'd never have the opportunity to experience throughout your lifetime. And last night, I had that feeling. I looked back at the Alamo Dome. I was doing my stand-ups. There was a platform area in the parking lot. And I thought to myself, man, I am just the luckiest guy in the world. Six world championships with the Bulls, three Stanley Cup winners with the Blackhawks, um, 2005 World Series winner with the White Sox, to be there with the Cubs, and then to have my alma mater get this close, reach the Final Four, really, the Final Four stage in my for me was the pinnacle. It's just a miracle because in this case, no one expected it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No one expected it. Uh, they came, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it. You could go into the Missouri, you know, Valley Tournament. If you lose a game, you're not going on. And uh, they didn't lose a game. They win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. They uh, uh, get the Selection Sunday experience of finding out where they go. And then the tournament starts and they just start, they just keep hitting last minute shots and playing like a team. And it's so great that Porter Moser gets the, the, um, you know, the promotion. From him that people get a chance to know this guy now. I mean, they had no idea who he is. Most people in Chicago had no idea who Loyola's coach was. I mean, you know, J.D. would do some games uh, and they'd do three, four games a year on TV and things like that. But other than that, they didn't see much Loyola basketball. Now everybody in the city knows this team and knows what Porter Moser means to the university. He's turned around the program, number one. Number two, he showed America that in college basketball you can do it the right way and still end up on the Final Four stage, the game's biggest stage. And if you really dig deep into what Porter's done over the last seven years in rebuilding this program, remember, he has lived through a new president, a new athletic director, a new gymnasium, a new arena. There were times when he first took the job, guys, where he couldn't find a place to practice because they were ripping down alumni gym and building Genteel Arena at the same time. And he was sharing whatever area he could find for his players to shoot with the women's basketball team, with the women's volleyball team, with the men's volleyball team, which is one of the top programs in the country. So he went through so much at the beginning of uh, his, his coaching start at Loyola. He turns the program around. He's got great energy. He is he, – here, Loyola's graduation rate, is 99%. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. That is tied for first 
in America, along with four Ivy League schools. So he has taken the term student-athlete and built this program with student-athletes who are very unselfish, who are about teamwork, and who are about winning. And it's tough to do today because of what's going on in college basketball. It's almost impossible to do. Lou, as you watched the game last night in the second half, it started to go south. Were you surprised by the way things unfolded for Loyola? Not at all. Not at all because all week long I had done radio shows or different TV shows, and they asked about a key to the game, and I said, if Loyola turns over the basketball, they're dead because there were a few times through this tournament run where they got sloppy out there. And sure enough, Loyola had 17 turnovers, five more than they averaged a game. I knew that Mo Wagner was going to be very, very difficult to contain. Ends up with 24 and 15. He killed them on the offensive boards. They had 22 second-chance points. I mean, the, the script was written, and at some point you just knew that Michigan's athleticism, their size, would take over, and then at the end you saw Loyola get even more sloppy in the final 10 minutes because they got desperate, and they were outscored 17-2 in the end. So I'm not surprised. I mean, the more athletic, uh, more talented team won last night. I'm not saying it was the team that had a bigger heart because, heck, Loyola had them on the ropes for 30 or 40 minutes. But in the end, Michigan deserves to go to the championship game. And kudos to John Beeline, who I think is one of the great coaches in college basketball, who every year is overlooked. Lou, when you look back on this run in a few years, what moment is going to stick out to you the most, whether it's the Custer uh, game-winning shot, the big win over Kansas State, the Towns three-pointer? What do you think it's going to be that, that sticks out a few years from now when you look back on the Final Four run? I'll tell you what, and this one's really, uh, this one's off the charts. What I'll remember about this run is the way it galvanized the city, arguably the greatest sports city in the world. All right, right now in the winter, and is it ever going to turn into spring in this town? <laughs> right now in the no. winter, all right, we're watching a Bulls team tank. I don't care what you want to call it. They're going out to lose. When you guys play Little League ball, were you taught to lose? No. But that's what we're watching. That's where we've come now in professional sports. And I get it. I'm not knocking John Paxson. I'm not knocking Fred Hoiberg. I get that you have to get really bad before you can get really good. The Cubs showed us that. But we're watching teams go out and lose. The Blackhawks, for the first time in a decade, aren't going to the playoffs. Baseball is just starting. We're watching the Bears rebuild, hopefully turn around with Matt Nagy, uh, their fortunes. I had, all right, I saw little kids embrace America's team, which is Loyola, because they did it the right way. They showed that you don't have to be a five-star college basketball athlete to end up on college basketball's biggest stage. And I'll never forget this. My wife's friend is from Nashville, Tennessee. She came to Chicago a week, from, a week ago Friday, and she said we were talking about Loyola, and she said, my seven-year-old son wants to grow up to be a Loyola Rambler. And what I think this Rambler team showed little kids around the country is, again, you don't have to be the most talented, but if you are willing to be part of a team, and maybe you're not going to take the last second shot, maybe you're not going to be the star who scores 30 and 10, but you're part of a team that's going to help create a winning culture, 
you could end up on college basketball's greatest stage. That's what I'll remember most about this run. Another minute or two with Lou Canellis from Fox. Uh, Lou, the picture of you and uh, Sister Jean. You're going to frame that one, put it up somewhere in the house, because that was an awesome picture. Goes right up there with Lou along Jordan, alongside Jordan, Lou alongside Rodman, Lou alongside <laughs> Sister Jean. I just hope here, guys, I just hope Porter Moser, and I, I truly believe he will stick around. I don't care what riches other major programs may throw his way. I believe him i've known him for seven years since he took over the program when he says he is a catholic league kid from chicago who wanted to turn around a program in his hometown i believe him when he says that i don't care how much money he's thrown his way and he's from naperville went to bennett academy and worked so hard to turn this program around why can't he turn the ramblers into villanova jay wright did in the city of philadelphia they've got you know their pro sports team is just a pro sports scene is just as you know great as Chicago's. I think he can do it in Rogers Park, and I believe he will do it. Listen, Loyola will step up in the next couple of weeks. You'll find out that Loyola is going to make him a real lucrative offer to stay, and I bet he grabs it. Yeah, I think the same thing, Lou. And as you've been down in San Antonio with the four different teams who all converged on the Final Four, what was your impression on the way Chicagoans embraced the Ramblers down in San Antonio? Oh man, it was. It was unbelievable. I mean, I'm not staying near the Riverwalk because we waited to the last second of minute to make our uh, hotel arrangements. So I'm about two miles away. But I had to wake up yesterday morning early before I went to the Alamo Dome because I wanted to experience um, the Riverwalk. I had been here 10 years ago when Mario Chalmers hit that shot for Kansas to win the national title over Derrick Rose in Memphis. And I wanted to see if the, the vibe, the energy was the same on the Riverwalk with my Ramblers. I, I could not. Guys, I could not find one of those maroon and gold scarves in this town. I looked everywhere, and thankfully, someone from the university, because I, I went to the I went to the team hotel, the Westin, and the Contessa, where the Contessa Hotel, where a lot of the fans were staying. And I said, "Is there any way you guys can find me a scarf?" And sure enough, someone from Loyola ended up finding me one and gave it to me at the arena. There were so many Loyola fans. And so many college basketball fans were pulling for the Ramblers because they were such a great story. You can't deny that they're a great story. There's no reason not to like this team. And for those haters out there on social media going after Sister Jean the other day because of the attention she was getting, really? Do you think a 98-year-old team chaplain has anything to do with idiots around the country? And not even idiots because it was a great story. She's the media story on a, on a day. We had talked to the Ramblers on Thursday. It was Friday. Why not talk to Sister G? I don't get it. Yeah, listen, the, the, the pub that Loyola got in this town was fantastic. Well, Lou, the next big thing, since the Bulls aren't going to the playoffs, the next big thing to happen in sports is going to be the NFL draft. Uh, you mentioned Matt Nagy and uh, the Bears. Uh, we, we have to ask you, what do you think they should do with the, their first pick overall? Well, here, first and foremost, I love what they did in free agency with their offense. Mm-hmm. All right? Great job, Ryan Pace. Um, they don't have any pass rushers. I know that everyone wants the guard from Notre Dame to fall to number eight, and that would be sweet, but they need guys that can get to the quarterback. And I saw Leonard Floyd a couple of weeks ago, and he hopes to be ready and in you know perfect shape by the time minicam start. But other than Floyd, who's going to get to the quarterback? They need... They need guys at the linebacker position. McPhee's gone. Young's gone. They need guys that can 
that can put pressure on guys like Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. And if they don't, then I, I don't know how Vic Fangio is going to keep a top-10 defense you know, for the Bears. So I think that right now they got to concentrate on defense. Now, you may get lucky. You know, teams cut high-priced uh, defensive players as, as camps go on, and maybe they can grab one off the waiver wire, but I really think they need to concentrate on defense now. Lou, I can't see a situation where Bears fans will be happy with them taking a guard at eight if there is all this defensive talent out there, especially if the Bills try to some way move up and get themselves a quarterback in those those top five picks. I think with a city like Chicago that loves the Bears defense, like you have to go defensive player no matter what, whether it's a corner or a defensive end. You've got Vic Fangio, like you said, but could they... Because of Harry Heastan, don't you think that that kind of makes it worthwhile to take the guard that Heastan knows? Absolutely, and and Fred, you can attest to that. That that '85 Bears team was built around its two lines. Yep, it's offensive. Mm-hmm. It's offensive line that Jim Fink's rebuilt, and then that defensive line with guys like Campin. So yeah, it all starts up front. And if the kid from Notre Dame is there, you grab him. He's just too good. He's a once in a lifetime guard, and and you bring him in to your franchise, but. And, and here, you brought up Buffalo. If Buffalo's willing to make a deal, hey, I'm all ears. I, I, I'm okay falling back, you know, a couple of spots, four spots, you know, because it means I'm going to pick up another pick. Um, but if the if the guard isn't there, absolutely, you got to go defense. Anything, Fangio's done miracles, guys. If you really break down what he's done with this defense and the talent he had and how many games guys like McPhee played and Young played, I mean, it's a miracle. It was a top ten defense. You kept I, you kept Fangio around. I thought that was the. Yeah, I'll go on record as saying that was the most important signing they've made this off season. Forget about any of the other guys they've brought in, Robinson or anyone else. Now you got to get them some talent. You got to restock the barrel, uh, restock the shelves. Lou, we appreciate it. It was a fun run for Loyola. Uh, can't wait till the bear season starts. You'll be all over the TV. My wife loves seeing you on TV. She goes, look at Lou. He always looks so good. Why I can't you that. dress? She goes, why can't you dress like Lou? I said, because I'm on radio. I don't need to dress like Lou. I go, Lou's got all the good Fred, clothes. Fred, I love you. You have a face for radio and you know it. <laughs> yeah, there, Lou, there's no doubt about it. You, we all know it well. Thanks a lot as always. We'll I talk to you, you soon. All right, boys. Bye-bye. See you, Lou. Lou Canellis from Fox, and uh, yeah, he is all over the Bears once the season gets underway with Tom Thayer and Jeff Joniak doing their pregames, and then on uh, Sunday evening, he brought up the point that I was going to ask you guys because I listened mm-hmm. to you, and I almost, I almost told him that he is, he was just um, welcomed into the official millennial group because he agreed with you guys on the uh, pass yeah. rusher. I mean, Lou is accepted. I mean, yes. absolutely <laughs> with open arms. <laughs> but the the one thing I was going to ask you guys is. Um, I understand that, but you do it somewhere along the line. Somewhere in this draft, you have to improve the offensive line. I mean, you can go on out and get some guys that are maybe cut, some veterans and things like that, but don't you need to get some young offensive linemen? Now, maybe it's not Quentin Nelson, but you know what? He's not the only offensive lineman coming out in the draft. You've there are second, other guys. You've got a second-round pick. Yeah, I mean, but you wouldn't have a problem going offensive line second round or third round or fourth round. I mean, and they will bring in some veterans, too. They've done it over the last several years. I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again. Yeah, Fred, you have to address it. Absolutely. I just I question addressing it with that eighth pick because you have to get a game-changer. If you don't, then fine. Keep toiling in mediocrity or or worse, because that's mm-hmm. what the Bears have been doing. But if you want to take the next step to the next level and you want to be a contending team in the NFL, this pick at eight has to be a game changer. 
Will you get that at guard? I don't know. I think the um, the the wiser play would be to pick a guard later in the draft, mm-hmm. someone of value at that spot that you've done your homework on, who could be a good guard, maybe not the best guard in the last 10 years, but do you need that? You know, like, I would prefer to have a end rush, rusher who can get to the quarterback who has elite potential than a guard that has elite potential. That, that's just me because this league is all about a couple of things. We know it's about quarterbacks. We know it's about getting to the quarterback. And we know it's about putting your quarterback in position to have weapons to succeed. You know, some quarterbacks can succeed without great line play. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. His ability to get out of the pocket and move. And we've watched Trubisky to this point. Pretty good mobile, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's pretty yeah. good on the run. Yeah. So, to me, standing in the pocket and making sure every single time he has a clean pocket, is that more valuable than being able to attack the other team's quarterback? I guess my thing is this, with specifically this draft. Yes, the Bears are in a situation where they do need offensive line help, but they also need defensive help. They need help everywhere, essentially. But the way this shakes out, Ryan Pace said last year before the draft that we're picking third overall, which ended up being second overall. Right. We don't want to be in this. The goal is to not be in this position again. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're in this position again. You're close. So the yeah. goal is to, again, not be in this position. And the way this draft shakes out, and if you go to ESPN.com, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s um, Mock Draft 3.0, has it basically it going quarterback, 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 running back, quarterback, and then def- defense, defense, Offensive line for the Bears. So, you, and with the potential, which I think still might happen, is the Bills move up to try to get a quarterback because they need a quarterback. So, you have a very quarterback heavy draft. Sure. Four or five guys. All of these defensive players are falling mm-hmm. to the Bears. Minka Fitzpatrick, Tremaine Edmonds, Ward potentially. You've got maybe, Roquan Smith. maybe Chubb, maybe Roquan Smith might be available there. You've got a chance to take a difference, day one difference-making defensive player, you should do it. I could find a big dude in the second round well, to play okay. offensive line. To that point, so people don't get it twisted, it's not like Quentin Nelson's the only guard in the draft. Right On Walter Football, they break down the uh, positions and where they should go in the NFL draft. So obviously, Quentin Nelson, they have top 10 listed. That's where he should be projected in the draft. But there are one, two, three, four... Four other players projected between the first and second round. Okay. Okay, so that means there's at least five guards that are worthy of a second-round grade, if not a first-round grade, in this year's draft. Then you continue on. There's at six, three to four, uh, seven, three to five, eight, the eighth-best guard um, from Iowa, three to five. So, like, there are good guards that you can get in the second, third round. That's fine. Like, is the... Height of how good a pass rusher could be, does that outweigh how good this guard can be? And, you know, like, we're we're doing this with nameless faces, right? right? Like, right. I'm not even breaking down Quentin Nelson. I'm sure he'll be great. I'm just saying, based on that position, is it worth that eighth pick? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's and, all and I'm that's, asking. And that's the question that goes on because you, you know Vic Fangio would kill to have one of those guys on joining his defense. Um, sure. You know, a pass rusher, an outside pass rusher. We, like I said, like Lou said, they have no idea what's going to happen and if Floyd's going to be ready when the season starts. They need help. And I, I brought up a thing the other day and I, it, it seems silly, but one guy that they loved 
was Mitch Hunrein. He's not here anymore. Right. So they need another guy on the sure. line. Mm-hmm. So they need actually more additions. Before we go any further, let's grab a quick call going out to the west side. This is our guy, Kyle. Kyle, what's up? What's up? Um, I just wanted to say that the Bears should probably get a pass rusher more than anything because right now Leonard Floyd is the best pass rusher on the roster, but he hasn't really – he's proved – some, but he hasn't like tapped into his full potential, and he's dealt with a bunch of injuries. And if they take a secondary player from like Minka Fitzpatrick, then I don't think they should because what's the, the worst in grabbing a player in the secondary when you had no one to rush the passer? That's a great point by Kyle. I mean, yeah. and, that, and that's why the Bears are facing this issue, right? Like we can supply offensive line play later in the draft. You got to, you got to fix the defense. So because, and we, we talked about it and we always talk about it. It's if you have a young quarterback, the easiest way to get to that playoff level is to have a stacked defense, right? So look at the teams in recent history outside of the Patriots. I get it. The Patriots are great. They eliminate them. They're outside. They're um outliers, right? They, they don't seem to do anything. Um, the way everybody else does, and they still win. Right, mm-hmm. it still works yeah. out. But look at Seattle in the past. The reason they were so good and created this mini dynasty up there in Seattle is because they had this amazing defense with a rookie quarterback right. on his first contract. Look at the Ravens in the past. Look at teams who were successful in the last year. Minnesota, they built their team on defense running, and, and now you have a quarterback. Whether or not they'll be able to keep things together now that they're paying big money to a quarterback, we'll see. Look at the Eagles. How did the Eagles build their team this last season? Defense. Yeah, it was all defense. Mm-hmm. And what did yeah. they have? Who was uh, the the quarterback? A young player, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, like, that's the way they should continue to build. When the 49ers under Jim Harbaugh got to the Super Bowl, how was that team built? Young quarterback, stack defense. That yeah. That's the way to win quickly. Now, you want to go about it a different way. I just think the best way to do it is continue to build the defense until you get to that elite level. You know, Jacksonville has an elite defense. Right. The yeah. the Rams Maybe made all quarterback. This, the Rams made all this noise last year. What did they have? Young quarterback, elite defense. Well, and they added to it. Yeah, and that, that's the only part that's a little concerning to me is when the Rams come to Soldier Field, which they do this year, and uh, you know, all of a sudden Trubisky lines up and he sees Aaron Donald and oh. Dominican Sue on the other side. He's got to have somebody that that he trusts blocking for him because otherwise he's going to be planted in the ground yeah. somewhere on the yeah. field. I think I'll, I'll take I'll take the Rams and the points in that one. Yeah, <laughs> but you can find guys in the second round. That I know, you can right? trust. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And hopefully, you know, over the next week or two leading up to the draft, we can take a look at some of those other guards that are possibilities for the Bears to take in the second, the third, the fourth rounds because I. I kind of agree with you. I'm starting to definitely to slowly turn to it's got to be a defensive guy, got to be a pass rusher, a guy that makes a difference, a difference maker. And, I and they're it. not looking for a difference maker on offense. And what's the key to everyone always says, well, just take Quentin Nelson. It's a plug, a plug and play. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, okay, I get that. He may be a 10-year pro bowler. I get that. I would prefer to have a stack defense. That's just me. Yeah, it's always nice to shut down the other guys. 312-332-3776. Matt Nagy was quoted in the paper about something, and it, it kind of made me, I don't know, not throw up, but it made me kind of nervous. Oh, no. So we'll talk about that when we come back. And we also, I got to get into a basketball. There was a basketball injury recently, and I got to ask you about what's going on with some basketball players and I don't quite understand how this could... Are you talking could, about Joel Embiid? Yes, how could this right. possibly happen? We'll get to that and much more. It's Adam Abdallah, Chris Black, Fred Hubner right here on ESPN 1000. Game day only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com.
Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000. Here till the top of the hour. Talking a little more Bears. Then we're going to get some NBA stuff and um, a soccer mention or two before we're out of here at the uh, top of the hour. Sun-Times today had a couple articles about the Bears. Matt Nagy using past as motivational tool. That's from Adam Johns. And he also had, says, Nagy promises the Bears will try to get white right. Bears coach Matt Nagy's opinion of receiver Kevin White hasn't changed in the several weeks. He says, for me, I truly, no, I really truly mean this when I say it. I am really excited to dig deep into him and put him in the best situation possible for Kevin White to succeed. Here's a guy we have on our roster that a lot of people can get lost in the shuffle and get pushed to the side. That's not going to happen. We're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. That scared me a little bit because we've seen what Kevin White has to offer. And it hasn't been much. No. Um, Even when I, he was healthy, he didn't catch the ball. Right. He was. Um, he played in games this year, and I forgot that he was even on the field. There yes. were many times sitting at Soldier Field, I knew he was healthy for the game, did not see him. Yeah. He, he may, he maybe he ran some routes, did not see him on the field. I will say... It, I don't entirely think it, view this as a negative, though, because no, it's probably a positive. It's just uh, I, I'm worried that Matt Nagy's going to find out quickly what a right, lot of yeah, people. There's think. not a whole lot. That's there. fine. Then he yeah. finds that out because ultimately Kevin White's going to be on the roster because he's under contract. He's under contract. Ryan yeah. Pace isn't cutting him. He's under contract. He's not expensive. He's going to be around. So you might as well anything you get out of Kevin White, you're just your per, people's perception. Of what Kevin White can be has to change to, oh, this guy was a first round draft pick. He needs to be performing and catching a ton of balls and making, catching, you know, a touchdown every couple games. No. If Kevin White has four receptions a game, uh-huh. something like that for, you know, 20, 30 yards, great. Four, receptions, four receptions a game. He had six all of last year. Okay. Yeah. I that, but I'm saying, like, that's the ceiling. That's the ceiling. Yeah. Okay. I know, like, but the ceiling is 30 yards for four a, game. a game. I mean, just, just uh, look, hope that he's not a healthy scratch when the, uh, rosters come out, when we look at inactives every Sunday what, then, morning. Then that's what Nagy figures out. I mean, maybe they, this, this is figured out in training camp. Maybe this is figured out in the preseason, what Kevin White is, and it's not an issue. But any, like, the, the perception of what Kevin White can be has to change to what he actually is now. I, I hope you guys don't uh, don't ever take it a negative when I say that you guys are my college football guys, you guys and Jay Hood, because you guys know the game. You watch it, you know the game. When I have questions, I ask you guys about college football because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know it. No, that's not a negative. Okay. That's a positive. Yeah. When when Kevin White was drafted by yeah. the Bears, he was the second receiver on all of the draft boards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first one was Amari Cooper, right? No, not Amari Cooper. Yeah, the guy yep. for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. He was number one. Kevin White was number two. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts when, I mean, what did you guys see from him in college? What were your thoughts when he was drafted? Did you guys think it was a good move, a My, good selection? What I remember before that draft was that Kevin White was the fly route guy. He he yeah. just ran straight down the field and caught passes running straight down the field in that West Virginia offense. So, you know, I you know, all you can do when you look at these draft previews is kind of take in all the information and then read it all and analyze it and then kind of make your judgment from there. And I at no point when he played at West Virginia thought that this was going to be 
like a number one uh-huh. stud wide receiver. This is just a guy that's fast who can outrun the secondary. A throw, guy that can, throw it up and go get it. Guy that can guy. open it up, take the top off the yeah. defense, all those kind of things. That's what I remember from okay. him at West Virginia. I don't, Abdallah, do you remember something different? That's what I remember. I remember that he was the, yeah, like you said, he was the fast guy. He was the, let's try to run downfield as fast as we can. I remember thinking it was a reach when he was drafted. And I remember him always having, like, he was never injured, but there was always, like, nagging uh-huh. kind of injuries that came along with Kevin White when he was at West Virginia. It was like, oh, he would come up limp on something, or, like, he would always have these, like, there was never, like, oh, he hurt this and now he's out for a while. Right. It was always this, like, he's got a mild hamstring or something like that, and we don't know if Kevin White's going to be able to go or something like that. So he was always very... Uh, not injury prone, but he was always hurt. So in uh, 2015, before the draft, Mel Kuyper said this, I have Cooper, Amari Cooper, as the highest, higher rated player. It doesn't mean Kevin White won't be a great player. I do think Cooper has a better chance to come in right away because he's a great route runner in college. He has three years of productivity, and that will give the edge to Cooper and help him out right away in the NFL. I think White's going to have a great career, but I also think Devontae Parker is going to have a really good career as well. So we mentioned Devontae Parker, who was at Louisville at the time, and we've seen him right. turn out to be a pretty good pro yeah, as well. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. And somehow the Bears got the worst one of them. He was bunch. also a yeah. senior when, like, he was also done. He was also the older. Kevin White was? Yeah. Okay. He had his senior year, he had 10 touchdowns and uh, over 1,400 yards. So it's not like he wasn't bad. Like, he had 10 touchdowns. That's double digit touchdowns and 1,400 yards. That's good. But he was older than everybody else. Like Amari was a, was a junior when he came out. And so you, you always question too, like, okay, we're taking another older guy in all sports. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Basketball and football. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other, I mean, they bring in Allen Robinson, uh, Taylor Gabriel, who's an exciting guy to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, we had JD on the other day and I asked him about Cam Meredith and he's still concerned about Cam Meredith's knee. Yeah. In Adam John's article today says if Cam Meredith, a restricted free agent returns, Dash, which is expected. Do you guys expect him to return, or do you think someone else is going to sign him for more money than the Bears offered? Because it was just a 1.9 instead of more uh, for the original offer. I think that they need to, they need all the help they can get. And I is think it, that the reason that they put that, that uh, value on him at 1.9 was so he could go out and test the market and then they don't have to give him as much. Right. So, I, I think that he ultimately comes back. It seems like he's ultimately going to come back because he hasn't had any offers yet, and he's visited three, three. teams so far. Right. And I don't think I haven't seen anything that says he has any other visits scheduled. We haven't seen it. No, we haven't so, seen it. Was it the Ravens? Yeah, the Ravens, the Saints, and the Jets. Well, how much of this has to do with what JD said to you, Fred? Because I heard that too. It seems as if it's out there that he might not be ready for next year. Yeah, I, I only remember during the season last year. I did a show with him, one of those uh, Monday night shows, and he came, and we were at the Old Town Poorhouse yeah. over on Wells, and he came and he had a uh, a chair propped up so he could rest his leg on it because he still had a, a, a brace on it. Mm-hmm. But that was during the season last year. I had heard as the season progressed, he was walking, he was running. Obviously, the, the toughest part when you're a receiver and you're coming off a knee injury is turning is cutting mm-hmm. running straight line usually you can do yeah once yeah. you try to start cutting and things like that but i 
you know, I had thought that he was doing very well and progressing. I don't know since then. I'm not sure if JD's heard anything. Um, you but know, I, I heard him say the same thing to you, where yeah. he was like, uh, "He seemed really concerned about it." Yeah. That's why. That's why I'm. I'm a little. I'm concerned myself. I mean, even yeah. though, to be honest with you, what there's OTAs in May, and then you, you know, the camp doesn't start till July or right. whatever. So I mean, you got. He's still got plenty of time. This is April first. Yeah. So you know, he's still got three and a half months before he has to worry about. Wouldn't anything. you think the Bears would like to know what's set in stone with their before wide the receiver, draft. right before yeah. the draft? Because otherwise, you got to take someone in the third, fourth. I still think they point. will too. Yeah. I think they'll, they'll grab someone in, in the third or fourth round, and they're they're going to need more receivers because I actually I'm. I don't know if I'm the only one. I liked what Kendall Wright did for the Bears as a mm-hmm. slot guy. He caught 68 some passes. He seemed to have some kind of, uh, you know, rhythm with uh, Mitchell Trubisky. I also wasn't sure. Uh, um, Dontrell Inman, yeah. was he just a one year guy? Is he a free agent or was he when he was he on a two year deal? Because you want to see a guy get a chance, get another opportunity. He, it was so weird with with the Bears last year. They threw to him. And all of a sudden, they didn't throw to him for two games. <laughs> it's like, well, he's on the field. What do you, number 17, right there, I see him running around. Let me see. What, why is he up. not there? So if he's there, there's another guy. Because you're going to need receivers. You, you don't just well, go to camp with four or right. five. And good NFL teams have five guys that can all contribute. That can all catch. Because yeah. you're not just lining up with two wide receivers. Especially in this offense. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, I know that I know that Burton, as the tight end, is a guy that comes in and they expect him to be their receiver. They've still got Shaheen to work with. He is you an know. unrestricted free agent. He is right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so if they want to bring him back, they can bring they can. him back. Yeah. So I, I think over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be interesting to me to see, you know, do you do you sign some, another free agent or two before the draft? You wait for the draft to see how things go. And then whoever doesn't get drafted, you bring in, un, you know, guys that were undrafted, which are always going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's tons of unrestricted guys that can play. Uh, we sit with one, one, you know, sometimes you sit with one. In meetings, yeah, Tommy over the middle, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there were, I, I made the mistake one day of saying that Yurko was un, uh, was not drafted. That was a mistake. He was a third round pick, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a mistake. I'm glad he didn't hear it first. <laughs> he would have called me. What do you mean undrafted? <laughs> they drafted hey, me. What the hell are you talking about? Yurko listens, so I know. Yeah, once in a while. Uh, oh come on, Yurko! Yurko's a big listener of this show. Okay. He listens to this show. Now this is probably going to be the only show that we do together on Sundays, especially from here on out. That we don't talk very much about the NBA because the playoffs begin in two weeks. Sure, we'll know um, probably where the the Bulls are picking in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously we will know when the season's over. Uh, but we come back. I got to ask you about something that um, I don't know. Does this hurt the Philadelphia 76ers? I would think it hurts at least one guy. We'll talk about that when we come back. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, I'm Fred Hubner. Till the top of the hour here on ESPN 1000. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, me, I'm Fred Hubner. And um, would it be wrong for me to say that anybody that pulls a April Fool's joke on you should be slapped? Yeah, go for it. You can you can do that. We have it now. We're the young, fun millennials, right? We're always goofing around here. Did we pull any pranks on anyone here today? Not that I know of. Not yet. If you pull a April Fool's <laughs> prank, you deserve to be throat punched. <laughs> yeah, I'm not throat. Yeah, I I am not a, a yeah. fan. I've never enjoyed that one. I don't. I don't. Is quite it wrong get to it. say that that's the type of day for people who are not very funny? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like because the people who are doing it think that they're hilarious, and it's like. You're not fun. No. 
No, it used to be a big radio thing years ago. Oh, yes. it, it, they used to do it quite a lot, and I it was never a fan. Um, can I uh, bring something up? No one told us to do this, uh-huh. um, but tomorrow's a big day for ESPN. ESPN TV Get Up debuts get with, with Greeny, Jalen, and Michelle Beadle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Check them out. 6 a.m. Yeah. Chicago time. Till 9, uh, if you're familiar with Mike Greenberg on Mike and Mike in the Morning, his new show on ESPN, I think it's going to be good. I'm interested to see what it's all about tomorrow. They named it after after Tibbs, right? Yeah, get up. Get up. Get up. Get Stay up. up. Get up. What is it? Get up. Get sports. <laughs> get going. So, yeah. I just wanted to mention that because I, I no, think it'll it be really be good. good. It'll be interesting to see Greeny in, in, a, in a new role like that. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I love Jalen. I love Jaylen's Michelle Beadle. Michelle's Greeny. the best. It was funny. He, he was on with Waddle and Sylvia earlier this week talking about it, and it, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good show. Like He's very excited to, to start this new chapter of his life. He's never done something like this before. The thing to me that was funny was when they did like a, a promotional thing that they put out there online. And it was like of a rehearsal that they did, one of yeah. the first rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And on the way out, Michelle Beadle, who's no makeup or anything for the rehearsal, so she's yeah. walking out and she said, um, I don't like rehearsals. I just like to go and do the show. <laughs> yeah, and, it was like, and, I just like to do live TV. I, I, don't, like I don't need to TV, do these right. uh, yeah. practice runs. Yeah, we don't need these practice things. Uh, you know, And a lot of times the practices and the, those are for everybody behind the scenes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, they're not A lot us. of times for the production because <laughs> right. the host pretty much, you can't, say exactly what you're going to do you can mm-hmm. lay out yeah. a segment or two here but you don't know it's sports you don't know what's going to but it is other things too so it'll be fun that starts early tomorrow too six six a.m uh, central time till nine and because of that uh golik and wingo are moving to espn news right because mm-hmm. sports center will be on uh, espn too so if you want sports there in the morning that'll be there as well so it's all taken care of okay now my question for all you. right here we go let's and talk about I, Embiid. i didn't know this but the way I read it, okay, it said Joel Embiid had surgery to repair a broken orbital bone around his left eye when his teammate accidentally headbutted him during mm-hmm. a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, happens. This isn't football. What? I you mean, don't headbutt guys. You, he what was do you like expect? falling into it. Have Plus, you seen the play? No, yeah, he was I like haven't. falling. <laughs> no, into no, it. I no, I have. No, I just Plus, read the thing. Plus, he's Joel Embiid, and you know, if 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 you looked at him the wrong way, I would think he would get hurt. Oh, come on. A, right. a face injury is different than uh, tearing something in your leg. Now, the the play that happened, uh, Markel Fultz, the ball just kind of went away from him. Both guys went for it. Faces collided. Embiid went down. Markel Fultz was fine. He kept playing. Yeah. Uh, broken face, but... Two to four weeks. I that's going to be playoffs start in two weeks. Yeah, but the Seventy uh, Sixers are going to need Embiid in the first round of the playoffs yeah, because uh-huh. even though they are so dangerous with him, they will. without him. If they play the Pacers, the Pacers can win that first round series. So, yeah. but as a basketball player, Joel Embiid still getting up shots last night. Yeah, did you see this, Fred? I thought that that's playing? what you wanted to ask about. Did you see what he did no, last night? He wasn't playing basketball. He was... Uh, still shooting. He was tweeting at Rihanna. After surgery in yes. a, uh, I assume, a drug-induced haze because he's having facial surgery. Right. Uh, tweeted at Rihanna, are you still single? <laughs> at Rihanna. And Fred, here's the key. When you are a uh, basketball player, or shooters got to shoot. Yeah, shooters got to shoot, man. Doesn't he have a? Can he wear a shield? Um, one of those. He clear probably will when, when he yeah. returns. So, what the news of this story is after the surgery? 
his return day is just based on how much pain he can tolerate. So, oh, if there's drugs for that, yeah. So there, he could be ready for the yeah. first round. It's no, possible. I mean, like, yeah, no, like, there are well, over the through. counter. Just you don't want to get an opioid uh, addiction. Yeah, so. right. Yep, no, that's not good. Did Guys, thanks, uh, Eric Ostrowski no, for helping us out. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner every Sunday here on ESPN One Thousand. Ray, Ray.